I promise, I promise everyone that I will never self-impose a podcast blackout <laughs> due to pouting. But I hope everyone can understand that between – all right, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, Steve just, you know, the Saints are 0-2, so he – whatever. It wasn't that, okay? It was just that you have to be in a certain mood to come in here and talk about sports. And, and when we do the show – one of the things that sometimes sucks about doing the show is sometimes there's just certain things you have to talk about. And last week, I wasn't in the mood to get into a big thing about Adrian Peterson. It was too fresh. It was too raw. I hope people can understand that this is a guy that I followed since he was 17 years old, one of my all-time favorite athletes. And in 48 hours, you just can't erase all that because of a few pictures. It just it takes a lot longer than that to digest everything and and think about everything and for the most part i really still don't want to talk about it much uh but we will a little bit in three things but we're back from a a week hiatus which is a strange time to do it i guess but i just i couldn't i couldn't come and do a podcast last week i needed some time off and with that said i have two things that i wanted to open the show with but so i was going to ask don to pick the open although i suppose we already sort of did an open so i'll give you three options okay do you want me to talk about dominating the car lot? Do you want me to talk about how much I think Roger Goodell is a piece of shit, or should we save that for three things? I'm sure that'll make it in there. Or do you want to skip anything else because I sort of already did an open talking about me being a baby and not doing no, a podcast? No, I, I don't even week. know what dominating the car lot is, so is, I assume this is something that happened in Cleveland? No, this happened in Buffalo, New York. We bought a new car, and I was the winner. Oh, well, that never happens. I know. Yeah, okay, sure. All right. So uh, the first lady uh, leases a car every year. Right. Or every three years, I suppose. Uh, and this car was up for uh, – needs to be turned in. So we – this was like on uh, Friday and our next payment was due the following Friday and that was the second last one. Okay. So we had two payments left. We were good on miles. We weren't like close to the miles at all. So – we went in there sort of knowing that we didn't have to get a car that day. We could wait a month or two. Uh, but also, we also went in there knowing that when she had gotten this car, she had moved from Nissan to Honda. Okay. And her mom knew the owner of the Honda dealership who clearly had lost money on the deal to get her over there sort of and as a favor to the mother. So we knew that there could be a chance our previous payment might go up a little bit. Right. So we were at $248 a month, roughly, for pretty much a basic Civic. Okay, that we're sounds not, right. We're sure. not car people. you know. 
Right. Whatever. And the reason I say it was such a good deal last time is because she had a much longer term left on her lease. She was close on the miles. You know, so it was a little oh. bit more complicated of a deal. So we went in. We met a salesman. Same place, but it's a different owner now. It's not the same owner that Tammy's mom once knew. So we come in and we say, look, it, we got a Civic. It's up in two months, which was really five weeks, really. It was up. Uh, we... Uh, we pay two forty eight right now. We want to be around there. We want to basically just get in a new Civic. What What's the deal? And he says, well, you know, there's great lease options on the Civic. And you have a, a, a base model and you could go up a model and probably be around the same price. Okay. So we said, that's great. So he takes some information, looks some stuff up and comes back to us and says, all right, $258 a month for the basic model. And I'm like, well, you know, that's just not going to work for us. We're going to go to a few other dealers and see what else there is. Thank you very much. And he's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Maybe you want to take it for a test drive and go around the block just so you guys can go and see if you like it. And I'm like, look, we already got a Civic. How much have they changed it? We don't need to. Right. You know, no thank you. Thanks for the, thanks for the deal. You know, we'll see. He's like, no, no, no you got you to gotta, you gotta drive it. So the first lady's like, all right, let's, let's drive this. So I said, all right. So the guy, we're, we're waiting outside, and the guy comes up, and he's like, you know what? You're right. It is the same. Uh, there's really no reason for you to drive it. Uh, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the bottom line? What, what do we need to do for, to get a deal done here? So I said, look, you were the one who brought this up saying what great deals there were for a Civics right now and thought we could go up a version of car uh, and, and be around the same price. And you came back with the version we have for $8 more. I said, we're probably looking at not getting into anything for a dollar more than two forty a month no money down, nothing to it signing uh, for the same car that we have. So he's like, all right. He comes back. He's like, look at, they'll do it at 243 a month, nothing down, nothing to it signing. We didn't have to pay our next payment, the one that was due in a week. Oh, okay. You know, so they took off the two payments. Our payment is $5 less, plus it was, uh, you know, three years newer, obviously. And she gets the 15,000 miles. So it's a pretty good deal. So I'm like, all right, we'll do it. So we go outside to pick a color, and we decide we want the gray one. Or light gray. A little bit different than what we have. Right. So we go back in. We tell the guy. He's like, oh, man, that one's sold. And that's the only gray one we have. But we really want to get you in this tomorrow. What if I gave you three oil changes for free? Would you pick out a different color? And we don't really care about the color. Like I said, we're not car people. And she she has uh, she has to get those cars. you got to get the the boosted up oil change okay. for whatever reason. So it's like 50 bucks. Right. You know, and you figure you don't even get one the first year because the car is brand new. You don't need to get one right away or whatever. So you, three oil changes, almost the whole term of the lease. And uh, so we're like, all right, we'll do that. So we go back the next day and, oh, she wanted a car starter too. And the guy's like, y- you know, they're usually like 500, but we'll give it to you for 180, the aftermarket one. And we'll put it in. It'll be ready for you tomorrow. So we go in there the next day thinking we're signing for nothing down, nothing to it signing, 243 a month, 180 cash for the car starter, and three free oil changes. I'm almost a little bit surprised they even charge you for the car starter in a lease. Like, well, aren't they gonna... there isn't one on it. So they, had a, they actually went to a different place and bought one and got it put on. Oh, I see. So, uh, so we get in there and we get in with the finance manager. Of course, he's like, all right, 250 four dollars a month we're like no no and he's like oh so he walks away and he comes back he's like oh what they did was they just rolled the price in with the car starter into the lease 
spread it out. And I knew that he was going to say that somehow. So I had figured out what the 180 divided by 36 months was. <laughs> and it wasn't true. So I told him, no, that's not right. You know, it's actually more than that. Right. We're not going to pay more. So he figured out, he's like, oh, you're right. So then he comes back and he's like, oh, okay, it's back to 243. And so then at the very end, we're getting ready to walk out and we hadn't gotten our coupons left. So we went back, we went up to the boss. We're like, you the guy who's going to give us the free oil, oil change. changes. And he's like, oh, yeah, how many did I say? And I said, four. And he's like, okay, let me go get them. <laughs> so he comes back and he's got them in his hand. He's like, I think I said three, but you were convincing, so I'm going to let you get four. So to recap, we got $5 less on our payment per okay. month. We didn't pay anything down. Got the $500 car starter for 180 although that's debatable. He just said it's 500 It's probably not. Right, right. Uh, four free oil changes, which is essentially $200 cash worth because they're about $50 a time. And we got a brand new car, so I killed them. <laughs> Have you ever had to take a lease back and then pay like the down payment on it? No. Yeah, I, I don't. The it... only thing we've ever had to do is when we went from Nissan to Honda, Nissan ch- tried to charge us for a few things. Mm-hmm. Because when you turn your car in, uh, if it's the same place, they cover a higher amount. Oh, sure. But when you take, hail damage, anything, right? Yeah. When you take it into a different place and you don't buy a new car, it's a lower amount. So they tra- they tried to charge us for four new tires, and they had only covered for five hundred bucks. So it was like a difference of like three hundred eighty dollars. But we had just gotten the car inspected, and the tires had passed. So I called them and said, "There's no way I'm paying you for tires that passed inspection." And they they actually did waive it. Oh, okay. So we've done really good with leases, and I'm sure at this point nobody cares about that. But I want to <laughs> brag a little bit about dominating uh, the car dealers before we started. Season 4, episode 26. We're recording on Tuesday, Don and I, the 23rd, uh, 2014. We have David Schumacher, Shoemaker excuse me, from Grantland in to talk about wrestling. I've been watching wrestling again, and we've talked about this since around WrestleMania. And Sunday night was the best match I had seen. Uh, in that whole time between John Cena and Brock Lesnar, but they ruined it at the very end with a DQ finish. So I want to talk to David about that and also talk to – I made a list of 10 things that I like and 10 things that I hate since I started watching again. Okay. So we'll go over that with him and talk wrestling, and it's always a good time. Both of his appearances are great, and uh, his podcast, Cheap Heat, uh, is the best thing about wrestling that there is on the internet. And we got a couple other interviews. Uh, One I have – I think guaranteed uh, another one we think is going to happen, but maybe we'll use it today. Maybe we won't. So right now when we record this, we're going to be sort of vague about who's actually going to be on. And this way we don't have to sound stupid later when someone else was on and we mentioned someone else. Sure, or, right. right. So uh, we got a book club update, which we haven't done in a while. We have David Shoemaker. We have the second installment of the reborn pick four, and we're going to start the show with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright, first thing. Uh, the NFL News uh, mixed bag we've been doing here first. Uh, and since we've been on, and this is something that we've covered throughout the summer, we had Phil Taylor from SI on to talk about his work on the Ray Rice case. And obviously there's been a lot of fallout since we've been on last, including even if we had done a podcast last week, there's been more even since then with right. the, 
uh, the, the report from ESPN and the commissioner's press conference. And I just want to say straight out, and this includes Ray Rice, it includes Adrian Peterson. I don't want to hear anyone give anyone credit for anything. Not the teams for their suspensions or the league yeah, for theirs. Or every single inch of this has been a fuck up. Yep. And Ray Rice absolutely should win that appeal, by the way. Because there's no doubt in my mind that the commissioner suspended him a second time for the second offense only because the video came out. Sure. And there's no doubt in my mind that he saw that video. There was no new proof, no new evidence. Roger Goodell is a piece of shit. He's a total fucking liar. He makes me want to hate the NFL. And if I didn't love my team as much as I did, I would never watch that fucking league ever again. Until that guy was gone. He hammered my team, by the way. Because he said Sean Payton, who said he didn't know anything about a bounty, that ignorance was no excuse. to yeah, made him sit absolutely. out a whole year. Yeah. So don't come on to my television and tell me that you were ignorant. But it's okay. Maybe you should sit out a year, Roger Goodell, because ignorance is not an excuse. And if you were ignorant, and that's why you fucked this Ray Rice thing up, you should sit out a year too. You're a liar. You're not any good at your job. You fucked up Spygate. You destroyed that evidence really quickly because you wanted to do your boy Kraft a favor. You totally blew the Bounty Gate thing because there wasn't an inch of proof or or else we would have seen it by now. We all know you just wanted to appease everyone and show that you had this love for player safety, which, by the way, you've also fucked up taking care of your players and concussions. That's a farce. And now you screwed up this. You're a joke of a league. I can't believe that in in two weeks with a straight face, players are going to come out with pink and pretend they care about women. You don't give a fuck. And you're a bastard and a liar. And that's really all I want to say about Ray Rice and about Adrian Peterson, who, by the way, is wrong. He's 100% wrong. I would never do that to my four-year-old kid. I don't have one, but if I did, I would never hit them with a stick, let alone my hand. And that is wrong, and he needs to seriously get help. I hope he does. I hope that's the one thing that comes out of this is that he got help. I do believe, though, and maybe this is naive because I'm a fan of him, because I love him, because I followed him since, I, I was seven, since he was 17 years old. Uh, I do believe that he is probably a good father, that he didn't necessarily know he was wrong, that you have to remember where he came from. He came from a, a place, and I don't want to sound like uh, like Charles Barkley here, so I think he was a little bit misguided in, in his comments, but I think that Adrian and other players who have stuck up for him, it's been about 50-50, I think, uh, perception from the players, they come from a place where uh, doing something wrong might result in you joining a gang and being murdered in the street. Uh, the level of, of rope that you can give a kid sometimes in those situations is smaller. And I'm not justifying it. I just think he came for a place where maybe that – a place and a time where maybe that was needed. It's not anymore. He's a millionaire. Uh, his kids aren't living in the slums of the world. Uh, even though he has many of them and many wives sure, and who knows right. where they live. But I'm sure they're all well taken care of financially. There's no need for you to do that to a four-year-old. It's totally wrong. He deserves to be punished. Uh, he needs to get help. I don't necessarily think he needs to be gone forever, though. I think he needs to be gone as long as this is handled. He needs to go through the process. He doesn't need to be on the field now. He needs to be handling this. He needs to be going to counseling, being a good dad. Because even if you send him away from football, you're not going to send him away from his kids, right? These kids are not going to stop. He's not going to stop being their dad. 
So I think the most important thing isn't taking away his livelihood. I think the most important thing is making sure he can be a better dad and a dad that doesn't need to hit his kids anymore. When he comes back, I don't know how I'll feel about it. Maybe I will want to root for him. Maybe I won't. I don't know yet. Um, But I don't. And it's not just Adrian. It's not just Ray Rice. It's anytime we talk about these scandals, I think I'm always the one who says I don't like to see people's livelihood taken away from mistakes. Uh, now, this is a big fucking mistake. Yeah. This isn't getting a DUI. This isn't making a joke about Steve Gleason on radio. This is injuring a four-year-old. That's a big difference. Uh, but I think the most important thing, and I haven't heard much of this, but I'm sure there's been some of it. I think the most important thing is let's make Adrian a better dad because no matter what happens with the NFL or the legal system, he's still going to have all these kids. Right. And they still, I'm sure, are going to want to have a relationship with their dad. Yeah, I I believe what you said. I believe Adrian thinks he was a good father, and I think the one difference between this and the Ray Rice thing is there was a lot of misrepresentation of what actually happened with the Ray Rice thing. Uh, Ray marched his wife out there, or fiancé at the time, to kind of almost stand up for him, and Adrian really hasn't done that. He's been cooperative. He admitted to what happened in the story. And I think when you see his admissions, you see him saying, "What, what, what do you mean? Right. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I did. He was uh, he was bad. And right. I mean know. that that said, somewhere along the line, it's it's his responsibility as a, a human being to have just learned. Uh, oh, the difference to, between that. Right, and he needs to face the consequences. I think it was Mike Sims Walker or somebody that tweeted something along the lines of, "Oh, I've been hit with the switch plenty of times I've growing seen up." Several of those tweets. But he also said, "But at four years old, that seems a little excessive. It's absurd." Right. Um. Yeah, going back to what you said at the beginning about nobody getting a lot of credit for this, I think that goes to the sponsors too. I think a lot of these sponsors oh, are please, used the hotel or whatever. There, this Give is me a break. If they want to do something and do it out of the grace or the good graces or whatever, or just do it quietly. You know what I mean? All these places do this and make an announcement, like release statements and all this. Uh, yeah, we're not going to support the NFL anymore. Here's our statement that all of a sudden is now on every single website uh, everywhere. That hotel got more free press. And that's why they did releasing. it, by the way. Oh, absolutely. They did it because the best way to maximize that sponsorship was at that moment to step up and say we might remove ourselves from it. Absolutely. So I think that's – yeah, nobody's done a good job Carolina here. owner with Greg Hardy, uh, 49ers owner, uh Alden Smith, Vikings, right? McDonald for his 49ers. McDonald. Right, right. All that shit. None of them get an ounce. They've all, they're have all they all motivated by one thing. We all know what it is. We're naive to believe it's anything else. Fuck them and fuck this. And, and the money thing, too, uh, that's why Goodell won't be removed because the NFL right. and the owners feel bulletproof right now. And, and we've, it, we've talked about Cuban. And his blog. We've talked about it on the show. We've asked guests. Yep. We've talked about horse racing and baseball and boxing, the sports that were at the top of the mountain 100 years ago. And we've wondered uh, rhetorically, is there a tipping point? Is there at some point a straw that's going to break this money cow's back? I don't know the answer, but I know that everything that piles on, they're getting closer to breaking my back. And I actually think, if you're talking about the NBA, I think they overreacted a little bit to, oh, God, the guy's name's escaping me now, who was forced to sell his team. Right. Uh, the Clippers. The Clippers, right. Yeah. Now, had they fired him immediately after they uncovered all this stuff about him uh, 
kind of doing borderline illegal stuff to tenants or whatever because right. of known race. his potentially racist right. ways for That's years. That's when they should have fired him, not after a couple things get out that were maybe potentially illegally taped. It's all about the tape, and that that's garbage. If if Michael Vick, I mean, this has been said before too. If there was a tape of Michael Vick killing even one dog, he would not be in the NFL right now. And that's not the way it should work. It shouldn't right. be. And, and you know what? With Michael Vick, I was as critical as anyone out there of him when that happened. But you know what? He lost everything, relatively speaking. Right. He went he did to jail. Sure. He paid his time. He belongs in the league again. He belongs. He, I think in this country you have a right to do whatever it is you can make a living at for as long as you can. And I just. Right. And prison's supposed to be about rehabilitation. I mean, in addition to punishment, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some people think that the NFL should be better than that. I mean, these guys don't want to be role models necessarily, but they sign up to be role models. So I, I think they should be held to a higher standard. And I don't think that Michael Vick is a bad role model right now. I think Michael Maybe Vick not. is a Maybe guy not. who can go out there and say, look, it, you're going to make bad mistakes. Sure. And when you do, this is what you have to do to be a better person. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. That's everything I got in this. You got anything else? No, it's not not been a good month or so for the NFL. Uh, speaking of not a great month, Rob Baronis tragically passed yeah. away. Uh, I think going into Sunday, we heard the news, and uh, it's just sort of a bizarre thing with potential road rage. And I don't know the story; I don't want to speculate about it. But I was sad to hear that everyone's favorite fantasy kicker had passed away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, Harrison is back with the Steelers as kind of injuries around the league are mounting. Uh, that's the other dark side of this NFL is that it is brutal. These guys, uh, they just drop and drop and drop and drop. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to talk about fantasy football today, but um, I was telling you beforehand, I drafted Adrian and Ray Rice on one team, uh, yet I have avoided injuries. So I don't think my team is very good. I don't have much of a chance of coming back from it. But there are so many injuries that there's, it's hard to look at somebody else's roster and see a guy that also isn't hurting and starting some pretty questionable players. I'm sure there's some guys sitting there today looking at their team. And between six teams on a week four bye, including teams that have many fantasy players. Oh, right. And injuries and suspensions. I cannot feel the like lineup. four guys, and they're like, man, I need to work the waivers yeah, like I've, never before. I've got a team that's, that's good in my – other league and i can't feel the lineup this week so yes. i have to work some trades or to something. work but uh it's a brutal league and along the lines of that too is that interestingly enough the two of the three first round quarterbacks will be starting in week four and if i would have said that to you before the season i'm sure you would have thought that johnny manzal would be one of them yeah he's not instead uh teddy bridgewater's in because uh matt castle broke his foot in new orleans and mm-hmm. i got to see bridgewater play uh and he was okay uh, he moves around really good. Uh, they called some smart plays for him. He couldn't really get the ball down the field when he got when they got pressure on him. It was probably incomplete, but he looks okay. A lot of potential there. And uh, Bortles is going to be in for Jacksonville after they've just after starting the season seventeen nothing. I mean, they've been murdered. Yeah, since then. Yeah, they're they're really bad. I mean, speaking of fantasy, I, I thought they would be better. A lot of people did. That and Tampa Bay. In Miami, the Florida teams in general yeah. are awful. Yeah, all of the, Miami's the only not one getting, with the win. But they're not getting a vote of confidence from... Yeah, Tannehill may not play yeah. this week, allegedly. So, already, um, just a little bit into the season, there's injuries, there's controversies, there's tragedies, and uh, 
Speaking of tragedies, the Saints are only one and two, so um, it's uh, a, a bad start to the season. Are we going to talk about the Saints in pick four? Sure. Yes, we absolutely okay. will. I won't. We can talk about our teams later then. All right. Uh, baseball. It is the last week of the regular season, finally. Uh, September is always like a a month for me where I'm just like, all right, let's play the playoffs. You know, like I got it. Okay, already. And uh, this is going to be the end of Derek Jeter's career this week. Thursday is his last home game in the Yankee Stadium against Baltimore. And Sunday is his last game, assuming he plays. Remember last year, after Mariano Rivera came out, at Yankee Stadium, he didn't play on the road in the weekend. Um, I would assume Jeter will play in Boston, but uh, and I wanted to just mention here too that Gene uh, Levy was on our podcast the last time we did it and talked really nicely about Jeter, and we got some good press on that. Uh, and you can find that on our website www.sports-casters.com and iTunes and Stitcher. And Don and I spent a lot of time after the last podcast getting all that stuff fixed, and I think we did. Yeah. So. Uh, Definitely check Jane out if you want to hear more about Jeter. And we'll talk more about him next week, too. He is one of my all-time favorite baseball players. I've always loved the way he's done his business and uh, and played. So uh, we'll talk more about that next week. But playoffs uh, are almost set uh, for teams, anyway. Um, in the National League, uh, the... the uh, let me get this right. So... Playoff berth has been clinched by St. Louis and the Dodgers, but both of them have yet to clinch their divisions. And Washington has clinched their division. So Washington is in as a division winner. Okay. St. Louis and the Dodgers are in, but not as division winners yet. And in the National League, the two wild card uh, positions are basically going to be Pittsburgh or San Francisco. Unless they were to win their division, and then it would be the other team. Okay. Right, so San Francisco caught the Dodgers, they would win the division, and the Dodgers would be the wild card. And if Pittsburgh were to catch St. Sure, Louis. right. But basically, you're looking at Washington, St. Louis, Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, San Francisco in the National League. That's nice for Matt that Pittsburgh is going to make it, because it wasn't looking good yeah, no, early in the season. They're 85-71. and 71. They've, they've played... Eight and two in their last ten. Great, you know, really good. And the collapse of the Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers and has helped uh, the National League teams as well. <laughs> uh, in the American League, obviously, you know, the best team all season or most of the season has been Anaheim. They have a ton of wins, ninety six of them, with eight games to play. Uh, they're going to be the top seed in the American League most likely. Although Baltimore, who has ninety three wins, could still catch them. Both of those teams have won their divisions, will be uh, in there. And then Detroit and Kansas City are one game apart from each other uh, for that division. One of them is going to win the division. One's probably going to get the wild card. And Oakland will probably get the other one, although Seattle is also hanging around in the hunt a few games back. So that's baseball as we head into the last week. And we'll try to get Jonah Carey or Jeff Passan or someone, Ben Ryder, on next week to talk about the playoffs and, and how baseball kind of Kind of shake out. out. Yep. All right. Last thing for today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jameis Winston. Uh, just a fun-loving kid there down in Florida State, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, quarterback for the number one team in the country. He's suspended this week by the team for apparently getting up on a table on campus in like the uh, student center, and several times 
screaming to fuck her right in the pussy or something like that. Right. Which apparently is like an internet meme. And he was originally suspended for a half. And then he was suspended for the full game. And then he came out during warm-ups in his uniform. And then came onto the field in his uniform. And the coach had to send him back. And he came back out in sweatpants and his jersey. And I wanted to ask you about this. So there's kind of two, I guess, thoughts on this. So during the game, which they almost lost, but won. It was close. They beat Clemson in overtime. ABC, obviously, who covered the game, made it all about Winston. Sure. You know, every time anything happened, they went to his reaction on the sideline. Now, he, I thought, was a great teammate. He was uh, the first guy to congratulate the quarterback, who was his first game, Mm -hmm. uh, after he threw a long touchdown, pat him on the head when he made a mistake, you know, when they scored the touchdown, ran on the field to celebrate with his teammates. And I saw a lot of tweets of people saying, you know, if I had just put my team in a position where I might cost them the national championship or a shot at it, maybe I wouldn't go celebrate with them for winning. Maybe I'd just stay out of it. And I don't know. I kind of thought that was cynical, that he was being a good teammate, that he showed good support. And it's not his fault that ABC put it on TV every single play. Yeah. And so I mean, where do you come out on that? Well, I mean, this the whole thing... I thought it was a little rough on the kid to begin with. This is the type of thing. It's history, though. You know, this is a guy who's been suspected right. of sexual assault. Well, and... that, yeah, I mean, that's a bigger. That, that's so, I mean, it's not his first rodeo, I guess. Sure. Uh, I think it's a dumb kid being a dumb kid. I do, too. Um, again, he has to be held to a higher standard because he's going to be held to a higher standard. That said. You can criticize him for that all you want. How do you want him to act on the sideline? Like, if he acted like an idiot or sulked or looked totally like aloof, like people would have killed for blasted that. him for that. Right. So, I don't, I don't know. It, it's a bad situation. The damage was done, and he was a good teammate about it. I guess you can't say many positive off the field things about him at this point. So. That's one. That's a check mark on the, the good side for him. I, I don't see a problem with that. He's going to have to work hard the rest of this year and maybe even come back to Florida State next year. He is a redshirt sophomore, I believe, so he would be eligible for the draft this year. He might have to skip it. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors about teams taking them off their boards oh, and yeah. him just being more trouble than he's worth. But when he decides to be an NFL player, whenever that is, between now and then, he's going to have to do a lot of work. I mean, people made stupid comments about Michael Sam, uh, who was it? A coach, Herm Edwards, said he would right. never have drafted him because he was a distraction, even though he's a great. No, off- you did what I did. It wasn't Herm. Not Herm Edwards. Edwards. It was Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy. Yeah, we want to. Is just, that racist? Like we I just, just picked the other black coach. Well, we want to always embarrass ourselves by screwing that up. Yeah. It's a podcast tradition. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Tony Dungy said that right, and all the all that kid did was work hard and be gay, and that that's his crime or whatever. Uh, Tim Tebow, nobody would ever argue he's anything but a team player. Yeah, he just wasn't good at football. Well, sure. Right. But every game was about him. He could have been the third-string quarterback, right. and you're going to get a shot at one point. Oh, what, what's Tim Tebow doing there? Uh, so Some guys like are said, polarizing. It's, it's yeah. not, not his fault that they shoved a camera in his face, and good for him for being a good teammate, I guess. So, no, he shouldn't have put his team in that position, but, I mean, what else? What could he have done better afterward? 
Probably not much. Right. All right, that's three things. Uh, we're going to come back with an interview in a second. It's a secret who it is. We're going to do the book <laughs> club. We're going to do David Shoemaker later. And uh, we'll be, Don and I will uh, do pick four to close things out. Can they help win it for Boston College? Galanos. In he goes. He's got Our next guest is from Washington, D.C., and is a graduate of Boston College. He is a writer and editor at Grantland and spent some time last week in our beautiful Buffalo, New York. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Andrew Sharp. What's going on, Andrew? Not too much, man. Just making it through the week here. Yeah, so you were just telling me that you moved from Los Angeles back to Washington. I saw on the internet that you're a big Washington sports fan, so the Red the Redskins played today, so I wanted to ask you a couple things about that. One, what's your take on the name? And two, are you a Cousins guy or are you a, a RG3 guy? It's actually, it's kind of funny. I, it, so I, I'm not technically a Redskins fan. I grew up in, uh, I grew up, I spent like the first half of my life in Connecticut okay. where I became a Cowboys fan and then mm. moved back here. Um, but, uh, but I do have opinions because I, I live here. Um, and uh, the first question was it was it should they change the name? Yeah, well, I mean well, that's the the thing to ask anyone from. Uh, you know, we always hear totally. People, we always hear people who aren't in Washington talk about it. But I guess I'm not there, so I don't hear as many people in Washington talk about it. I think people in Washington are pretty much just sick of the conversation, and. Um, and it seems inevitable that they're going to have to change it at some point. So, like, I think, I think just just on principle, like, they they should change it. Um, what I've found is that it actually gets more racist anytime Dan Snyder tries to defend it, and it becomes like ten times more insulting. And uh, and I think like they can change it to the pigskins. And they could just be the skins, and it would be easier for everyone, and we could stop having this like never-ending debate where like the team and every like all my friends are Redskins fans, and everybody is just like embarrassed by how stupid this looks. I don't know if you saw the South Park last night, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like yeah. it's like an ongoing joke, and uh, it's just so it's Dan Snyder's like digging himself deeper and deeper. Yeah, it's funny, too. I, I look back, and I'm like, yep, I see right here. Wizards, Tar Heels, Cowboys, Capitals, and Nationals. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bad job yeah, by me. <laughs> so. It's a little strange, um, but it, it's funny because it's like the Cowboys and Redskins, they yeah, that's they have a rivalry, and at this point, it, it's like who, which which team sucks more is, is the ongoing battle. And uh, I think, I don't know, both, both teams are, are looking up after the first few weeks here, but... We'll see. I think I think Cousins has actually been pretty solid so far. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we're going to get into all this. And, you know, I, I wrote you to see if you wanted to come on and talk about the piece you wrote for Grantland about the Bills. And I'm sure you probably assumed I was a Bills fan, being that I told you I was from Buffalo and I was real excited to talk right. about this Bills article. But I'm actually a Saints fan, despite growing up here, and I've been since I was seven. And for me, it was just because I was such a big Sabres fan 
that when I was younger, I didn't like the Bills because people dared to, you know, pay attention to them and f- instead of the Sabres. And then when I oh, did wow. finally pick up football, I just went a different direction. But uh, the nice thing for me is that the Saints and Bills aren't rivals. So I can still support yeah. all my family and friends who love the Bills. But it's got to be a much <laughs> a very interesting position when you're a fan of literally maybe the most hated rivalry in the National Football League. You know, the Redskins yeah. and the Cowboys. It was definitely, it was definitely rough. Uh growing up like they were i was i was a lot more hardcore when i was in middle school and high school and would go out to the games in my cowboys jersey and be like i hope the redskins go three and 13 this year and like get into cursing matches in the parking lot and everything else and and now it's just sort of like i mean personally especially since i moved away um like it makes me happy when when the skins are doing better um, I think it really shifted in that first year with RG3. And so now I'm kind of like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm definitely not a Redskins fan, but uh, I, it, it doesn't piss me off when they do well. Yeah, I know for me one of the things that frustrated me most was wanting my team to be at that level, but also seeing the Bills make these Super Bowls and feeling like, well, you're doing it in such an inferior uh, conference to where the Saints were always seemingly stuck behind a, a legendary 49ers team. But for you it must have been interesting where, well, here the Redskins win a Super Bowl, and then the the Cowboys win the next two. So both teams oh, were at a very yeah. high level at the time. Yeah, well, and it's funny because that's sort of when I I was in Connecticut for their Super Bowls, and uh, and was like really into it, and then moved down here, and it was like it was too I was I was too far in um, on the Cowboys to to sort of turn back, and I got stuck. With like the, the, I mean, the Cowboys for the last like fifteen years have been so depressing, and it's like, it's like you're branded with like, it's like being a Miami Heat fan, except you don't win ever, and um, so it's been kind of painful to just sort of like watch that happen, and then they, the only saving grace is that the the, the skins are just as awful. <laughs> I was reading, uh, I think it's from 2009, an interview you did at SB Nation when you were over there, and you were talking a lot about how much you appreciated Bill Simmons' work, and now you're over at Grantland and working with Bill. What was it, How did that happen? How did you go end up over at Grantland, and what is it like being there and working with a guy that you definitely respected uh, when you were, were working in 2009 and, and establishing yourself? Yeah, it was weird. It was... Well, because back in 2009, there were all these people who hated hated on Simmons or whatever, and I was like, you know, like, I'm, I've am i always enjoyed his work, and then um, just sort of kept kept doing my thing at SB Nation, and um, I actually was, was covering um, the NBA All-Star Game and met uh, a couple editors there from Grantland, and um, I, was, I was actually not sure if I wanted to keep writing and uh, I was thinking about maybe going back to school or whatever and then as I was making that decision a couple weeks later I, I got an email from um, from Bill basically saying that they've been following me for for a while and, and were really interested in my stuff and um, so we just sort of went from there and it's it's been really cool to, to work with everybody at Grantland because it's like um, the one thing that I've found is like every everybody is is nice. There's sort of like a no asshole policy, 
Um, so it's been fun to just sort of to get to know everybody and, and become part of the team the past, uh, the past year, year and a half. What do you think that maybe you've learned the most uh, over at Grant Land, maybe from Bill directly or, or just from working with uh, the team there? Um, definitely the, 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 the team of editors has definitely um, taught me the most um, and basically just getting to like bounce ideas off of everybody day in and day out has been great because um, it's sort of, it's like you sort of learn to, uh, I don't know, it, the way we've been able to sort of filter news has, has made me smarter, I feel like, over the last, couple, over the last year and a half. Now, you, you started out there, and you, you were telling me you're back in Washington. How is your role going to change now that you're on the opposite coast, if it is? Um, I will, I'll probably do more traveling now that I'm, now that I'm back here, and um, I uh, definitely more traveling and, and more writing because um, I, was, I was sort of in a writer-slash-editor role out in L.A., and um, part, of, part of the problem was I just didn't really – the the hours like I, I could never really get adjusted to the West Coast schedule and um and we published on an East Coast schedule so it was like working pretty early mornings like from like six or six thirty to to two thirty or three and it was just sort of like I I could never switch over my body clock and like go to bed before like eleven o'clock um so and I think being on the East Coast will just free me up to sort of have a lot more fun and uh, be able to travel more and do stuff like go to Buffalo on a whim, and uh, it's working out so far. Well, that I was actually going to segue when you were talking about traveling. You, know, you traveled into Buffalo last week, and, you know, as far as the NFL goes, especially in the last couple of years, there's a guy down in Miami. I can't even think of his name, but uh, every chance he gets, he, he makes sure to say, how insignificant he thinks Buffalo is, and, and what a bad city he thinks it is. Uh, I know you're talking to a Buffalo guy, so maybe you'd edit yourself a little <laughs> bit, but w- what did you think about your time in Buffalo? I don't even know how long you were here, but uh, what did you think about your time here, and uh, what's your impressions of Buffalo? I, and, and I probably maybe you've been here before, I'm not sure, but as you stand now after last weekend, how do you feel about Buffalo? I, I was a big fan. Um, it was uh, I was only there for like, maybe 48 hours, but, um, it's like Saturday night to Monday morning, but, uh, but it was a, a lot nicer, like, it, it was a lot nicer than I expected, um, because I sort of imagined this, like, people talk about Buffalo, like, it's this dying town, and, uh, there were, there were parts of it where, that, like, that, that actually rang true, like, you could see, like, some, there was, there was, like, one side of town, that I ended up in where there were some like worn out looking houses and stuff like that. And then I also, on the other side, I ended up in, I think it was Allentown. Um, right. That, and, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a part of the city. It was, that's pretty earthy. If you, yeah, it yeah. was, it was great. Yeah. Um, just walking around there. It was, it was, it was really cool. And then, um, and then obviously the game was a, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, all in all, I like I really enjoyed the trip up there. Where did you stay? I also I, I stayed I stayed at a hotel downtown. Downtown. Um, but I also recognized that it was like it's before before things get like frigid and like 
that's that's real buffalo um but i mean i was i was there for like 75 degree weather and it was perfect yeah well the buffalo in the fall is is probably the best time to be here uh sometimes yeah it was gorgeous sometimes in the summer when it's hot here it's just really humid and it's not the best hot weather uh when it's cold here it gets really cold obviously everyone knows about that but in the fall when things are kind of changing colors and you know, you have beautiful 75-degree days like that. It is the best time. You talked about how the perception is Buffalo is this dying town, and for a while it was a transitioning town, which you could use the word dying as well. I mean, obviously, coming out of the steel uh, time in the 70s and, and trying to reestablish yourself from a blue-collar town, it's maybe a little bit more of a white-collar town. But the ironic thing is when the, when the dollar weakened and the uh, Canadian dollar strengthened, our position so close to Canada has really strengthened our economy across the board because we have so much commerce from people who can literally go from Canada to America in five minutes and and shop and eat and spend time in Buffalo. So there has been a bit of a That's resurgence. That's another thing that caught me off guard. There were Canadians everywhere. Yeah, because they're so close. Listen, this is when I was you know 10 years old, on a Tuesday night, it wouldn't be uncommon for my parents to say, Let's go to Canada for Chinese food tonight for dinner. And how how long does it take to get like across the border? Well, back then, you know, obviously in a pre nine eleven world, you know, we could be from our front door to the dinner table in twenty five minutes, and, and, and be in wow. Canada. You know, we're not in Toronto. You know, Toronto's ninety miles away, but we could be in in Fort Erie, which is the closest city uh, to our border, in you know twenty five minutes. So that's awesome. Yes, and that's really that's something we take for granted here. We never think about the idea that like literally going to a foreign country just on a whim was such a, a regular thing for us. Uh, and even still, yeah, well, it was wild because they were even at the Bills game. I saw people that I that I could tell they were from Canada, and uh, it was just sort of like it clicked. It was like, yeah, Canada is not that far away from here, and I guess it's I guess that's pretty common. Yeah, and then you know also downtown where, where you were with the Pagula money, with that, and that's another reason I want to talk to you about Pagula and the Bills. Another reason why people are so excited, you know, the number one reason people are so excited about Pagula buying the Bills is because they're going to stay in Buffalo. The number two reason is because you see with Pagula, since he's bought the Sabres, uh, the way he's invested in that via the Harbor Center, which you may have seen downtown uh, by our hockey mm-hmm. arena and uh, the hotels there and how he's transforming that area. And I think people have this hope that now with the Bills, he'll invest even more in the city, and it's really turning out to be a great thing. You know, the Buffalo is going to be one of the hockey centers of the country for the next 50 years with the Harbor Center. They're already, they've already moved the, the NHL Combine to Buffalo next year, so we'll see how much more uh, ends up being in Buffalo in the next uh, long time here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was reading about how, like, the idea is that he'll he's going to end up reinvesting a lot of his money in just in Buffalo to make it to sort of like help the, his investments in the Bills and the Sabers. So now you were the one who floated the idea, and this is kind of where the column starts. That you thought the Bills could be a decent team this year, and after the two and zero start, you came down. To check them out, and obviously it was it was sort of a back to earth kind of a game against a really good San Diego team. In fairness, who had just beaten Seattle, uh, what is? How do you feel about the Bills now? Do you feel the way you felt initially? Have you soured on them? And I still, I'm still in on the Bills. I like, I'm still a fan at this point. Um, they, 
they just have so many so many weapons around that offense. Um, I, part of it is I think a lot of people focus on Sammy Watkins, but I also think Robert Woods is just as good. And um, and then we, when you combine that with the running game, it's like they they really just they need to get like decent play. Like EJ Manuel doesn't even have to be really good, but he just has to be decent for them to have a shot because I think the defense is also pretty solid across the board. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I think I, I really think this weekend uh, against the Texans will learn a lot about what they can actually do this year. You know, I was thinking a little bit about the parallels between the way the Bills are trying to develop Manuel with the way the Redskins may have tried to develop uh, RG3. And I've, admittedly, and, and again, I, I really don't have much stake in it because I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a Bills fan <laughs> per se. But uh, admittedly, RG3 is a, a much more talented guy at his core than EJ Manuel is. But uh, I think that the Bills coaching staff has sort of looked at the way RG3 has struggled to stay on the field. And in doing so, has maybe harnessed uh, Manuel a little bit. And it seems like sometimes to me, they're trying to to protect him physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, instead of just letting him go out there and seeing how he develops. Did you get that sense at all? And uh, do you still think he can be a, a quarterback who lives up to the lofty expectations that the Bills, and maybe only the Bills, uh, saw in him when they made him <laughs> yeah. a first-round pick? Yeah, the Bills, man, uh, like, they, they drafted him on that one, yeah. a lot higher. Than, they drafted him a lot higher than anybody expected. Um I don't know. I, I sort of, like, I think I, the parallel with RG3 makes sense in that, like, RG3 since the injury has never really looked that comfortable. And um, and EJ Manuel didn't really look that comfortable this weekend. Um, and in the other games that I've seen, I mean, he just, like, doesn't, doesn't seem that natural in the pocket. And I feel like he's at his best when he's able to run around and sort of, like, improvise. Um but the main thing is he's just got to not, like, there are there several times this weekend um, when he had open receivers and he just, like, couldn't hit them. And so I think that's going to end up being a, the biggest issue is just, like, accuracy. Um, and, and that's one of the things that you can't really fix. Or I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe they will be able to fix it. But um, Especially his accuracy when he gets moved off his spot. You know, anytime there's pressure, it seems like that's when he gets the most erratic, too. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you can see him get more uncomfortable, and then the ball just either sails or, or it goes straight into the receiver's feet. And it's like, that just sort of shoots the offense in the foot. Sportscaster here for a few more minutes talking to Andrew Sharp, who's over at Grantland. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Andrew Sharp. And uh, so far, he's got some really nice things to say about Buffalo. He's here last week, although I'm going to be checking his Twitter and seeing if he's uh, tweeting with Omar Kelly in the next couple of weeks. And he's like, yeah, you were right, man. Oh, this is that is really the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. I, I looked him up. I was like, oh, i got to find this guy's name so I can make this little joke here. But, yeah, that guy's <laughs> a dick. I don't know what his problem is. I mean, uh, he just, he goes a lot out, of people don't like that guy. Yeah, he goes out of his way to be that way. And maybe that's just his, his Twitter persona. You know, like maybe in reality yeah. he's not that guy. But, I mean, he just goes out of his way to, to make us feel bad about it. I think ourselves. even Dolphins fans feel that way. So. Yeah. The, the uh, Buffalo is pretty much known for the Bills, and, and you got you got some of that. 
We're also known for Niagara Falls. I don't know if you made it that far north to see that. And we're also known for chicken wings. I hope you ate well when you were here. Did you get a nice plate? Man, I ate chicken wings everywhere I went. I didn't make it to Anchor Bar or Duff. Duff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, as advertised, um, every bit as awesome as I expected. Yeah, I, I always say that, like, I want to uh, – I was joking that, like, when people – that we that we meet from the show, you know, when they get down here, I want to like meet them in a van down by down by the airport and like immediately take them to Duff's and and show, like I don't want I want the good the good stuff to get out. I do care about Buffalo, you know, and I I, I get angry with uh, people like Omar Kali and other people, but I'm glad you had a nice time here. Uh, going oh, for- totally. yeah, going forward with the rest of uh, rest of the season here. What are some other uh, – What are you were obviously interested to see what was going to go down with the Bills. What are some other stories you're, you're interested in seeing play out on the field here in the next couple of weeks? Where else might you travel uh, if the opportunity arose? What else on the NFL uh, docket has you excited uh, with uh, about 12, um, 13 weeks left? I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with Philly um, and uh, – like their their team in general, it's, it's basically like they play like video game football, um, and that has been really awesome to watch. But at the same time, they like they're sitting at three zero now and could have lost all three games. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to see see sort of what happens there. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I mean, I I, I would say uh, the the AFC is sort of the AFC West. Is is going to be interesting because the Chargers have looked really good, um, and uh, and Philip Rivers has been probably through through the first couple weeks one of the two or three best uh, quarterbacks in football, and it's like I I doubted him for so long, and um, and now I've sort of come around, and so I'm interested to see how far he can take that team. Um, he was really good last year, and, too. Yeah, he yeah. was really good last year, and I sort of looked at it like. As, as a fluke, because um, I, I always put him in, like, the Jay Cutler, Tony Romo category, and he's, yep. he's definitely, like, a cut above that. Um, and then, uh, and I'm also, the other team that's been been wild to watch is uh, is the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they've got, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do between Drew Stanton and Carson Palmer, but Stanton's looked pretty good the past few weeks. And um, they they've got a bye this week, I believe, and then they come back against the Broncos, and it'll be really interesting to see what direction their season goes because the defense the defense lost a bunch of people, but I think they could come back and uh, and really I mean they, so far they've been able to hang with everybody they they were able to contain the Chargers they beat the Niners last week um, so it'll be it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens with them too. Yeah, that's one of those games too. That's so. So pivotal for a team like that because if they get blown out, it's like all of a sudden the perception as well. You know, yeah, yeah, they beat the Chargers, but that was opening night and it was at home, and you know, so you can kind of see that. And and the Forty ers we don't know where they really stand. And finally, they were really tested, and and they couldn't they couldn't beat them. But if they win it, or if they're even competitive in it, it can be that wow, this team really is for real, and it can propel them propel them from there. So that is one of those interesting games for. For a team Especially because like the Niners have just kicked their ass, um, and like it's it's traditionally been like the Niners and Seahawks in that division, and then like the, the Cardinals trying to do whatever they can. And uh, I mean, they won ten games last year, but um, 
but I think uh, it, it's it's going to be cool to sort of watch that team grow because they've got a they've got a couple young skill players that are really good too. Well, again, you can find Andrew Sharp at Grantland.com, where he is an editor and writer. Most recent piece is about his time in Buffalo watching the Bills, and you can find him on Twitter. He's at Andrew Sharp there. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today and talking about Buffalo and the Bills and Grantland. Really appreciated having you on our sort of all-Grantland show today as uh, David Shoemaker is going to talk some wrestling with us as well on this podcast. And you mentioned uh, kind of a no no asshole thing at Grantland, and, and we've certainly uh, experienced that. Being sort of an independent and a smaller guy out there, we've got such great relationships with people like Jonah Carey and uh, David and Brian Curtis and uh, uh, several. Yeah, uh, there's a lot, Katie of, Baker. a lot of like just good just really people. good people. Yeah, absolutely, and talented too. Just great, great columns and, and great stuff. So thanks a lot for doing this with us, and hopefully we can get you out again. Thanks, sometime. man. All right, I hope you. I didn't sound too sick. No, that's I'll all right. I'll talk to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you. You know, you would think that most podcasts who get themselves pigeonholed into a really dorky song for a segment, when that song was no longer available, they would take that opportunity to find a less dorky song. But here at the Sportscasters, we're just finding new versions of said dorky song. Anyway, uh, the book club, I'm actually recording this on Thursday afternoon. So this is how the podcast kind of got put together. Don and I recorded the intro, three things, and pick four on Tuesday. I recorded the interview with David Shoemaker on Wednesday. And the interview you just heard with Andrew Sharp. And this part here, I'm recording on Thursday. And the podcast will be up Thursday afternoon. So, obviously, the one interesting thing that happened since then was uh, the Bill Simmons suspension for an angry, uh, I guess, cursing-filled rants on his podcast about Commissioner Goodell. I also uh, had a angry cursing rant aimed towards Commissioner Goodell at the beginning of this podcast, which, as we speak, I haven't decided if I'm going to leave in or not. If you didn't hear it, I guess I took it out, and if you heard it, I left it in, and I didn't get a chance to listen to what Simmons said uh, before it was taken down, but from the transcript I've, I've read, it's pretty similar uh, to what I said. Luckily, I don't work for a corporation, uh, so I can't be suspended. So we will have a show next week. As for the book club, we talked a few times in the summer about a book club book of the year and never got around to it. Officially, the book club book of the year was The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling by David Shoemaker, a.k.a. The Masked Man. This book is going to be out on paperback on November 4th, and we are going to talk to David in a minute about the book and about wrestling, and uh, it's a really great, almost hour-long interview, which I really enjoyed recording. We enjoy doing the wrestling stuff now and again on the podcast. Uh, other than that, we're going to look for a new book. It's uh, it's fall now. Christmas is coming up. Uh, book ideas are going to be out there. So I'm going to get on email. I'm going to pound some out. I'm going to find some books. I'm going to see what we can book for the next couple months for the book club. I heard from a guy who wrote a book about high school football in Florida, I believe, and he was hoping to do something. And I said, sure, we'd love to, uh, but I haven't heard back from him yet. Uh, but if you have any book ideas for the book club, uh, the email is thesportscasters at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. 
We are going to take a break. You can, uh, and then we're going to come back with David Shoemaker from Grantland. Our next guest grew up in Texas, lives in Brooklyn, writes about wrestling for Grantland, is the author of The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling, one of the best books ever written about the business, and is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to David Shoemaker. What's up, David? Nothing, man. Thanks for having me back. We're really excited to have you. So, did Onyx send you guys a cease and desist, or what happened with that? (laughs) I think weirdly it, we we mentioned it on the show we mentioned it on the show once and they edited it out and I don't know I mean it's not there's there's not a um, there's not much controversy I think at some point ESPN uh, like you know as a corporate entity decided to to stop doing the sort of just like fair fair use like pop songs as intros because they didn't want to be. And actually, I don't know the reasoning at all. My guess is they just didn't want to be like on the cutting edge of like exploiting that illegal loophole or whatever. So uh, you know, just nobody's doing it anymore. <laughs> That's one like the, one of the nice things about uh, flying under the radar. I'm, I'm going to put that politely to myself. Is that uh, you know I don't think anyone really cares what we do. So we just we we operate under the policy of we're just going to do whatever we want until someone tells us we can't do that. You know what I mean? Like that's the way we do it. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when you work for when you right, work for when, an when entity like like ESPN, you got to be. Right? It's, it's understandable they'd be a little bit more careful. Um, I'm just upset because I like to think that the guys in Onyx are just are also sad that it's no longer the theme song oh, of the podcast. You oh, know, like they they weren't even part of the conversation. So you know, whatever. Yeah, I always, I always. Uh, sometimes when the, with the answer no, you always sometimes you wonder like where it's coming from. You know, like that's the worst thing about when you're trying to book guests and you have to go through PR, like. A lot of the ESPN TV guys, especially, have to go through PR. And when sometimes when the answer is no, I like the one thing I wonder is like, well, is it because they don't want to do it, or is it because the PR guy doesn't think it's worth their time and doesn't want to ask them? You know, it's just uh, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a, obviously had PR people for for when my book came out, and 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 dealing with them um, again right now because the paperback's coming out, I think November fourth. But um, you know, with books, it's a little bit different. You're kind of like you work together for a really kind of you know concise amount of time uh, to a really specific end. But you do it is very. I've I've worked with people too where I mean it's it's easy to develop a sort of unhealthy relationship with the PR department when you just start right. using them as an excuse to not do stuff and letting them talk it. You know, letting letting them excuse you and. Um, and then they kind of take it upon themselves to repeat what's happened before, and then the next thing you know, it's like there's no one's granting interviews for anything. <laughs> what you mentioned, uh, November fourth, the paperback. Is it uh, just essentially a paperback version of the book, or are you are you changing it up a little bit, or is there new chapters? What what uh, what do you uh, expect? It's basically the same book. There's um you know a, a bunch of little corrections that were made. Uh, and uh, you know, the, just errors that I made in the first thing, or things that had changed. I, I obviously uh, changed the Ultimate Warrior chapter pretty significantly because right. when the first edition came out, um, he was included. You know, all the subjects of of uh, you know the main chapters 
are dead wrestlers. And when the when the first edition came out, he was the he was the sort of ironic exception because there were and his, I included him because there were so many rumors that he had died over the years, unfounded. And then um, pretty shortly before the paperback went to press, uh, obviously he did die earlier this year. And um, so I, I I you know went back and I, I was actually kind of worried and you know that I would have to change a whole lot of it and when I went back and actually dealt with it um weirdly not much had to be changed uh and there you know obviously the ending is different and that kind of stuff but but um but yeah so so that's different um and like I said there's a lot of corrections um I I got to tell you uh you know any writer can can um uh, any writer, I'm sure, would will, you know, can tell you about the the sadness of like seeing people correct your errors that you've made on Twitter or that kind of stuff. I've never had an experience so miserable as spending a whole weekend just googling every variation of my name, the book title, and errors, um, just to see if there was anything that I didn't know that I had gotten wrong. Um, but yeah, hopefully, I caught most of it. Well, ninety, t- I mean, ninety nine out of 100 people on the internet, it seems like, get so excited to tell you when you're wrong. Very rarely do people take the time to tell you they really like something. You know, and and again, I don't want to make this about me at all, but in a small, we're a much smaller thing, and most of the feedback we get is when we screw something up. Very rarely is it, oh, we like this, or we didn't like that. And when as, the scale, as I notice, as the scale gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets worse and worse and worse. Actually, Peter King last night, I you saw this on Twitter, he shared this sort of innocent story about Andrew uh, McCutcheon buying a uh, coffee in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I like, looked at his mentions, and it's just a thousand mentions of, that's the dumbest story. Of course, I mean, just like get killed, and it's like, oh man, geez, I don't know how you handle it. Was there a certain example? Was there a, a, a fact that you... Now, I read it. I, I'm, a, I'm certainly a, a mark, probably not quite a smart mark, maybe a little bit, but uh, I didn't I noticed maybe one thing. I'm not even going to say what it is because it's not important. But was there one that was perpetually that people killed you on for some reason? No, I mean there. Were, uh, um, and you have to tell me what that was off the air at least. Okay, yeah, send me well. an email so I can make sure it gets in any future editions if I haven't caught it. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a weird process to write about wrestling, um, even for Grantland. Um, and Deadspin, it, just because it's very rare that you find um, and that you that you work with an editor who's as big of a re- who's big enough a wrestling fan to actually catch the factual errors, you know. Nice. Um, even on my Grantland stuff, I'll just like, I mean, it, it's not uncommon at all for me to totally for me to just absentmindedly confuse SummerSlam and Survivor Series, and it's not it's just like a semantic thing. My brain just just you know just short circuits, and the wrong one comes out. Uh, and if, you know, my editor just doesn't check, doesn't, I mean, doesn't realize, or doesn't, doesn't realize the error, then it's out there in the world. And the simplest things look like the biggest mistakes. Um, but no, I mean, there wasn't any, like, one, like, one specific thing that comes to mind. I mean, there, there were a couple of things where, I mean, they were just obvious errors. And, you know, I think most people, when they point them out, are pointing it out from a play. I'm, I'm sure, especially you know, into, it, towards the the reaction that you get. You know, it's people pointing it out from a place of good faith. You know, and, and they're they're actually trying to be nice, very often, um, or trying to be helpful. But it's just like when your friend says something about like you know, 
like your shirt's untucked and if he just says if, if the tone is off then it just sounds like he's killing you you know <laughs> um and that's what twitter is it's just like pure tone deaf commentary and it's not an insult to people who use twitter i'm just saying that like there's no there's inherently no tone unless you're doing like backslash sark or something at the end of all of your uh all of your tweets, which just sort of defeats the purpose, I feel like. So anyway, um, you know, we all get killed. Writers all say that it's just one, you know, that, that one negative tweet will make you forget about the hundred positive tweets that you just got before. And it's totally true. It's it's like a really sad part about the human condition. And then we're all, we're, you know, it, it's it's easy to, an easy way to make us miserable. Um, when I write something now for the Internet, I will... Uh, generally be kind of anxious when it goes up, but I will like force myself to read the first 20 or 30 minutes of tweets just to make sure there's not an error, like you know, a glaring error. And then I, I generally, I generally just get offline for, uh, you know, just bow uh, the rest of the evening right. because it's, because it's, it's not even reading the stuff. It's just like the, it's just, you know, thinking about it before I do. <laughs> it's just too, the, the, I've just gotten to the point where that, for, where, uh, with all of the me- all the social media stuff, doing like the, we have, I have like a Tumblr account for and and for for my podcast, Cheap Heat, and a, m- a bunch of different email accounts and Instagram and Twitter. You know, there's a million more that I'm not even on, but it's just like a constant, just a constant barrage of interaction, and you got to kind of carve out time to be away from that. In my uh, hiatus as a mark, uh, one of the ways I stay connected was. DVDs and books. You actually had my one of my favorite quotes ever about wrestling when you were on the show last time. You said, and I'm pretty sure this is a direct quote. I'm not paraphrasing. I believe what you said exactly was, wrestling largely exists in people's pasts. And one way that I kept that connection was through reading books and watching the DVDs, uh, mostly the WWF slash E ones, but also some of the other ones that were around. But I would say of all the wrestling books I've read, maybe around 40, Yours is definitely in my top five, and we one of the things we mostly get killed about is being a, a little bit too friendly or uh, to our guests or whatever, but I, it really is one of my favorite wrestling books, and I know I told you that. So my guess is that overall, the reaction has been really positive to it, right? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's it's been... It's been great. I mean, in the and you know, it was cool when they were like, you know, it wasn't it was just a month or two ago they sent me the you know the the paperback cover for me to approve, and it feels good to see that like you know actual uh, news outlets that I'm familiar with are like quoted on the back saying nice things about the book, you know. So um, it, it's uh, I mean a lot of the if if in so much as there was any like negative reaction, um, you know. A lot of it came from people who are only used to reading internet journalism. I mean, wrestling journalism on the internet, and it and um, you know, I acknowledge that that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing a different, you know, for the book specifically, doing a different sort of thing. And and uh, um, you know, there's it's it's a it's just a totally different point of comparison. Um, but you know, I'm proud of what I did, and then I think you know the reaction for for uh, was was overall really really positive. One last little piece of small talk here, and then I want to get on to some more serious wrestling business. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what uh, what's uh, favorite book that you've read about wrestling, and favorite by a wrestler? What what are kind of the ones? Because I'm asking this sort of selfishly, because if I haven't read it, I'm going to. <laughs> so lay it on uh, me. What do you like? um, What have you liked? That's a good question. I mean, I guess my favorite bio wrestler has got to be Mick Foley's first one. Um, okay. 
but uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of them that I like. There's a lot of them that I really like. Um, uh, either for the first fifty pages, or or you know, uh, there's there's chapters that I really love. I think, um, uh, you know, as someone who's probably written too many words about wrestling in his life, uh, too. I, I mean, I, I feel like I can say this. I feel like a lot of the wrestling memoirs. Um, like are, are great stories that didn't need to be whole, whole books, or like if there were just an awesome anthology of wrestler memoirs, I would be the first in line to buy that. You know, just right. like to be from them be a little bit more uh, discerning about the contents and and just a little bit more to the point. I think you know you could get a lot, you could have be a lot more powerful. But as someone who's worked in book publishing for many many years, uh, you know, you could say that about many books that we're all just sort of like unnecessarily stuck to this 300 page format. Um, but my favorite book about wrestling and that's really tough. Um, I think, uh, man, I mean, there, there are a couple that really meant a lot to me when I was writing the book and I, I saw, I, I referenced them in there and other stuff that I've read. And I think, and there's one, uh, called Whatever Happened to Gorgeous George by uh, an old SI reporter named Joe Jairs. Um, that came out, when did it come out? In the 70s or the 80s, and is pretty much out of print now, but you can generally get like a mass market paperback used off Amazon. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then there was uh, Fall Guys by, by uh, Marcus Griffin. Yeah, that's cool. Um, which is like the original kind of expose book, and it's just... That sort of beautiful, like, silly, purple sports writing prose that, you know, like, before I even knew that there were old books about wrestling, I, I would just go out of my way to find the great old boxing books like this. It just sort of, like, made everything sort of funny and, and mythic at the same time. Uh, and, you know, that kind of writing was certainly a big influence on me. I think the, the thing that I love the most about the Foley book, especially the first one, is that it was the first time someone wrote about it that way or whatever it's like wow people are willing to talk about their career this way like that i think maybe before the books that maybe wrestlers wrote they were they were really watered down sort of company Mm -hmm. books or at least the ones that were mainstream of course you could probably find someone but those were a lot harder to find at that time you know it wasn't as many uh you know people weren't talking about things on the internet as much back then but i also one thing that i loved that i did and it was sort of out of luck and I love the Bret Hart book. It's great. And one of the things that enhanced it for me is right before I got it, I read the Dynamite Kid book, which isn't nearly mm-hmm. as good. But what was really cool about reading those two back-to-back is so many of the stories in both of them, uh, you got to hear from two different perspectives. You got to hear what Dynamite thinks happened in that particular story and what Hart felt about it. And normally, if I would have read those six months or a year apart, I may not have been as familiar with but being able to sort of read those back to back like that was a really like exciting experience for me as a wrestling fan, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when, when they start, I mean, yeah, I, I, that that kind of stuff is always really fun. Um, I'm, and I'm trying. There's a million books that I'm not mentioning. I like Dynamite's book too. Um, although I generally, I mean, because that that's it's it comes just off as bitter in all the best ways. I mean, yeah. I I uh, you know, I as a as a just reader in general, I kind of I think go toward more towards like guys who can write well rather than like the content specifically. So like I'm reading Jericho's new book right now and it's not out yet, but, uh, it's really, really good. Um, I really like him. Um, and there's a couple other guys who just are like, just, just kind of easy, good reads that, that, you know, that's sort of what I normally gravitate to. 
Um, there's also a really awesome book by an old um, uh, British wrestler named Jackie Paolo called You Grunt, I'll Groan, and it was an exp- expose too. And I'm trying to th- remember when it came out. I think it was like mid-'80s. Um, but And he was you know, at the end of his career or recently retired at that point. Um, and it's just like, it, it's, it's just sort of a one, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful book, um, as far as those things go, but you know, I mean, there's, there's just so many that I have. My, my apartment now is just overtaken with them. Um, and I swear that, I mean, like I've, um, like the process of writing the book was, was, uh, I probably talked about it before, but like, you know, I've been kind of halfway doing it for, for a few years and then the actual, like, you know, I got, I think I turned in my manuscript like 18 months after I signed the contract. So that was like the, that was a really active writing time. And it really wasn't enough time to digest everything that I was like coming into contact with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, if I, there, there's, there's just so much history out there and, uh, you know, my book was not short by any estimation, but it, you know, if to do like a history of professional wrestling in America comprehensively, I mean, it could be, 30,000 pages long, you know. I'm really excited to, to, it sounds like that JR is either doing or about ready to do his book, and I'm excited to see what that's going to be. And I'm excited that he waited till this point to do it, too. I think maybe other parts of his career is when he's either actively working for the WWE or maybe still, uh, it sort of seems like he's in a place where he do, it doesn't matter to him what he writes, how it's perceived by others. So I think he's in a good place to do it. <laughs> And it'll be interesting yeah. to see. I think, uh, or I'm hopeful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, there's no one I would rather read a book by uh, in, in the professional wrestling business than him. Right, it's going to be. Huge. Uh, my only, my only hang-up now, and I don't, I don't think this is a knock. I mean, because it's like this is a this is a wonderful problem to have. Is that uh, with now with this podcast, I feel like I'd be, he's just like so present in my life that like I'm, right. there there won't be much in the way. I'm worried that there won't be as much like revelation. Um, you know, in a in a memoir as there could be, uh, but you know, like I said, I'm, we're we're lucky to have Jr. podcasting in our ear once a week. So, uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to make that sound like a complaint. On your podcast, you guys have the bell that you ring every time you put yourselves over, and I think yeah. people who listen to ours would say that we need a bell for every time we put our guests over because of like <laughs> before that's what we're criticized the most about. Um, but. Uh, so I've been listening to the different wrestling podcasts, and I wanted to get your opinion on this about the podcast and what you think. And yours is probably the only one I listen to every week. The rest of them are sort of guest dependent a little bit, but yeah. But um, I, I think I probably like Austin's the next best. At least you know uh, I, I, Jericho might have the best guests overall. The problem I have with JR is my favorite thing is when he's just talking about the business because he has such a great mind for it. My least favorite yeah. thing is when he interviews because I feel like, like especially the Sting ones, I really got this impression. Uh, he said, I think yesterday, he had 1.5 million downloads for part two, which is amazing to me. But uh, I sometimes feel like he has a guest on and he just talks their ear off the whole time and we don't hear enough yeah. from them. I don't, I don't know – and I don't think it's coming from like a ego or a bad place. I I just think he's just that kind of guy. Like I, I can imagine that if we got in the room and started talking, it'd be sort of the same thing. He just I think has a lot to say. Yeah, as someone who's been, uh, I was actually backstage just sort of almost accidentally during for for one of his one man shows, uh, just kind of saying hi to somebody, and he came in. It was after the show, and he came in and plopped down on the couch, 
and basically, and I was just like, all right, I'm going to get out of everybody's hair. Like I'm not, Jared didn't invite me back here. And as I was trying to get away, he just kind of like addressed me in, in monologue for about 45 minutes. Uh, and I was both transfixed and like scared to move. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I actually totally agree with you. Uh, I, I, you know, I was saying this to somebody uh, not too long ago that it's crazy when you think about the fact that Jim Ross is a is a an audio guy. I mean, he's he you know is a play by play guy, and Stone Cold Steve Austin is a performer. But in their post active duty whatever careers, Stone Cold Steve Austin has turned into like the greatest podcast man oh, in the business. So good at it, and. Yeah. And Jim Ross weirdly is much more is much better at be, at doing his one man show than he is at doing podcasts. Um, so they sort of like reverse roles at this point in their life. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Austin, and actually, I think probably some of Austin's uh, less well known guests are my favorite ones because there are a lot of guys that I grew up with. I mean, he's had like Ricky Morton and Kamala and yeah. a bunch of other guys on recently that just are like just you know mother's milk to me like there's not nothing that could be better um and austin is just such like a great interviewer like he obviously does his work and and his homework and he and he's he, he asks sort of he knows how to he knows what questions to ask it's really he's, he's always i'm like maybe it's just i'm so constantly surprised by his skill but that's you know i love it i love his podcast to death um he is the howard but yeah i mean listen they're all good and gen but generally at this point there's just so many of them yeah. i mean so many kind of mainstream big name wrestling podcasts that i find my i find my listening habits are mostly dictated by uh by kind of other people's reaction like when there's when when i'll you know i'll see a couple references to a certain show i mean a certain episode online then i'll make sure that i listen to it um and uh, you know none of them are. I mean, I, I I look for I look at the updates pretty regularly, but none of them are like appointment listening for me, uh, in the way that some other podcasts are. And I think mostly it's because it's you know it's a matter of like it's my job and it's not as much fun to do, you know I can't I can't escape I can't right. it's not as much like I can't I can't find like that little like fix of escapism that I can if I wanted to listen to like you know how did this get made or or Mark Marin or something like that. Like that's just totally a separate thing. And I, and I can get away from like, you know, I, I can just listen to that and totally relax. Yeah. I haven't been a big fan of Pipers. I haven't found much. I like about that yet, but I haven't, I only listened to the first few when he was just starting out and he was probably pretty green. So I was thinking I should probably go back and check maybe the last couple, but I've been sort of like you waiting for some buzz about one of his and I haven't really heard much yet, but I don't know. All right, this is what I'm really excited about. Uh, the sportscasters are here with David Shoemaker from Grantland, the Cheap Heat podcast, uh, the masked man himself. Uh, and the first time we had you on was right after WrestleMania. Or no, was the book first or the WrestleMania time first? I don't know, regardless. The book, the book would have been first, book yeah. Was first, okay. Well, I sort of got back as an active uh, mark, a day-by-day -day mark, uh, when the network came out. I was I love the network. That's the number one thing on my love list is the network. Uh, I think it's amazing, um, and even the things I don't like about it, I think are just because I just want more. Just like I wish there was more, like those old school like how, taped house show shows that are on there. Like I feel like so there needs to be ten times more of those. Like that's the only thing I don't like. You know, it's just a, a want for more. So that's a great thing about it, really, not a negative, but. I wanted to share this with you. I did this the other night when I was eating a bowl of cereal, and, and I was listening to one of our interviews, 
And I said, I wonder how he would, th- what he's going to react. Someone who took basically a 10-year break. I think WrestleMania 18 was around when I stopped and I came back around 30. And in between then, I would watch usually WrestleMania almost every year. And I used to, but the problem I would have then is I wasn't invested enough in the people. And I always knew that. It was like these matches, I could tell the way they perform were great, but I wasn't invested enough to really get an impact out of it. But I want to share these with you, and I want to get your opinion and see what you think. So I made a okay, list. Okay, I'm of, excited. Yeah, I made a list of since I've been back, since essentially the network debuted, what I've loved and what I've disliked. So I don't. Okay, so the number one thing on my love list is the network. Uh, it just made being a wrestling fan awesome. It's just it's great. I don't. I I'm so shocked when I hear things like you know they've had all these people bail on it, and I just. I couldn't imagine if you're truly a fan, like what would make you think that n- the nine ninety nine price wasn't worthwhile? Like if you just can't afford it, I understand that. There's so many different prescriptions. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that can't afford it. And I don't even actually know the technology of it. If you have to like willfully unsubscribe, my per- my con- my my perception is that you have to kind of uh, you know formally. It, it, but if you paid you know a certain way, that you have to like formally choose to resubscribe, and that might be part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is crazy. Um, you know, the wrestling fan base is tough. I mean, I've heard from people in lots of in marketing departments and stuff that that uh, that you know, despite being a, like the desire, largely a desirable demographic, um, you know, of of young men of a certain of certain age, uh, the income level is pretty low. So I, you know, and I hear that a lot too, just when people talk about pay per view costs or whatever else. Um, ticket costs, uh, but I agree with you, man. It, it's cra- I mean, it, I've said it many times before. I was not particularly looking forward to the network um, because there was already enough wrestling in my life, you know. And it's not not just talking about the shows. Like the amount of time I spent watching old matches on YouTube um, was pretty insane. Uh, and I was just like, oh man, just another excuse to like, you know, watch wrestling instead of go out and be with human beings is not something that I really thought, thought I needed, but I've been shocked at how, uh, at how much I love it and how much time I find myself spending on it. Um, I mean, the old stuff that they have on there is just incredible and, and just watching stuff in actual like HD or like just original tape quality is, uh, is just so much of a more relaxing and wonderful experience than trying to parse some like really, really, uh, you know, like fourth generation YouTube video or something, you know, it, it's, it's just, I don't know. All, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly happy as a wrestling fan that this thing exists. The next thing on my list is one that I'll admit that maybe if I had never been off, it might be, he might be on the other list, but John Cena is the number two thing on my love list. And it's just, it's for a number of reasons. One, he's great. He's great. He's, he's great in the ring for the way he performs, uh, for what he is. I think he knows his limits. Uh, I think he gives good matches and almost all of the, like whether it was his Wyatt feud, I love, maybe the Lesnar seen a match that from the other night might be my favorite match since I've been back. Um, and he's he's great. He loves wrestling. Uh, he's great. He's great for it. I, I can't really think. I, I'm definitely a, a let's go Cena, not a Cena sucks guy. But I, I'm, <laughs> I I will admit that maybe a lot of the Cena sucks is burnout. 
No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess that probably does exist. Uh, I mean, no, that definitely exists. I mean, and, and and I've written before that it's more of just sort of a comment. It's more of a a, a slight directed at like Vince McMahon than really at John Cena because it's not like he's choosing to come out there uh, right. as if it were like a real endeavor. I agree, man. I mean, there's a lot of people that underrate him um, pretty, you know, way, way too much um, because in some ways he's easier to kind of. Uh, uh, I think if okay, I'll just say this. I think if you I think if if you don't appreciate Cena, then uh, you are kind of willfully willfully caricaturing him, Um, and I don't think that speaks necessarily too positively of you as a. I mean, I'm not saying obviously not you, the general you. uh, I mean, he's just. But I think in some sense he is sort of easy to caricature and easy to dismiss um, because he's sort of like. I think for a lot of kind of quote unquote serious wrestling fans, he sort of represents what what, he, what uh, like people who make fun of wrestling think wrestling is like, you know. Um, and I think in some ways that wrestling fans are kind of justifiably uncomfortable with that. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, there's I mean, there, I, I love John Cena too. Um, I just wrote last week about the the, the never-ending conversation about whether or not he will eventually turn heel. Um, and part of what I said in there was that one of the reasons why I think that a lot of the, the kind of smart fans are just dying for him to turn heel is because they want to root for him as a villain. They want to be able to get on, you know, they want to be able to like buy the John Cena stock. And, uh, and you know, since it is the sort of, he's been playing the same character with very little change for such a long time, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to get behind. Or even if you're you're you've come around to him, as someone like me has, um, you know, I'm still on the Cena suck side because I've just been chanting it for so long. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I I think I know you really want him to turn. I, I think I don't, but that's only because I'm not quite confident they'll do it right. And I, I'm just a little yeah. worried for him that it'll blow up the way it did for Austin, maybe. But if it's done right, I could see loving it. So, you know. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm kind of like a very similar, but, uh, but you know, slightly mirror image version uh, of your point of view. Um, I don't think he should turn heel. I think that there's a million ways that they can play with his character now to make him more layered, more interesting, and functionally make him. I mean, I've said it before, and so have other people. He's the best heel in the business right now. So right. if he turns heel, all he's going to do is make the kids not like him and stop buying his merchandise uh, and make us start cheering, make, you know, the ironic fans start cheering for him. And that won't really affect anything except that like they'll need to find somebody new to do the make a wish visits, you know, and that it's just sort of a mess. Um, I think that there's a way that they can, they can, they can work, you know, further his character now and sort of tweak the smart fans a little bit more, make him more of that functional heel for a lot of us but I don't really have any faith they're going to do that well. So uh, in some sense, I would ra- I think my vote is to turn him heel, like technically fully turn him heel just to, just to mix things up. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. My next, my next thing, and, and I don't know if these are necessarily in order anymore. Those are definitely the top two things, the network and Cena. From there, I love Randy Orton, and I know that, Maybe there's some people out there who are maybe a little tired of him as well. Uh, but I think he's sort of a total package guy. He's maybe not the the best personality, but maybe good enough. I like him in the ring. Um, he's got a great look to him. 
And I don't know. I've just had a lot of fun with Orton. I like him a lot. Yeah. I thought his match the other night with Jericho was great. And uh, I was sort of really bored with this Jericho run. Didn't connect with me that much, especially the Wyatt stuff. Really, I sort of felt uh, fell flat. Although I guess that was really most of it. But I really liked that match, and I, I thought it was great. I thought his match the month before, his match in SummerSlam, I thought was really boring for a while, and then there was like just a few really great spots in it. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just like him a lot. And then Heyman is the other thing. I think this is more of a common uh, where I'm on the right side of it. I think everyone has sort of been spending the last few months sort of appreciating the greatness that is Paul Heyman. I think he's just, he's unbelievable sort of how good he is. Yeah, no, uh, Paul Heyman, I wrote about recently. Uh, and by the way, I think I agree with you on every point. Uh, Paul Heyman, I wrote about recently and, um, to make the case that he was like the the best performer in WWE full stop. Um, He's working on another level right now that, that I don't know that anyone, even the greats like Bobby Heenan, have ever been on. Um, you know, Orton is, uh, I mean, I agree. When he was the sort of face of the authority a while back, I, I kind of wrote a semi-ironic column, or, you know, called In Defense of Orton, I think, or The Case for Orton, um, saying that, you know, it was time to, to stop. The same thing with Cena, time to stop with like the kind of like willful character or yeah car- uh, caricature of him and, and actually look at what he is and he's incredibly talented i mean he's like got every tool in the toolbox except for oh i'm going to mix a bunch of metaphors here i feel like but he's like got everything going for him except that special something you know he's got he's like missing the it factor but he has everything else um that said, I saw him uh, in L.A. out or at a restaurant when I was there for SummerSlam, and he certainly had uh, some sort of magical it factor just walking towards the bathroom. He's like a really, really impressive, amazing-looking dude in a way that a lot of wrestlers weirdly aren't. Um, and I agree with you about Jericho, too. I mean, I, I think I said this in my podcast, that I think we're past the point where he needs to be like putting over young guys when he makes his comeback. At this point, the ideal use for him is fighting the guy like Orton's, I mean, the Orton's of the world, when they don't have a specific feud to further at that moment, just to add one more like big match to the card, I would rather see Jericho versus Orton, Jericho versus Big Show, Jericho versus Mark Henry a million times and uh, over another like Jericho trying to make Fandango look good situation. Oh, I totally agree with that. All right, so here's another one that is totally, this is the one probably on the list that could have never at any point in history been on it. And that's the idea that Grantland and Bleacher Report cover wrestling and other sites probably too. I think there's one on SB Nation. Uh, these uh, mainstream uh, sports websites respecting wrestling in a way that they're willing to have columnists like yourself and others write these long, interesting pieces about it, to have podcasts about it. This, I feel like, would have never happened at any other time, and it's a really exciting to be able to sit down and read a column uh, that isn't too smarky, isn't too the opposite of that. It's, it's smart and thought out, and there's this really interesting discussion about the storytelling. It's not just like trying to defend it or trying to prove why it's no good. It's just this unbelievable... like, And I think my theory is that it's because people who grew up in the Hogan era, who grew up loving it through the Attitude era, are now in the positions of being gatekeepers and are saying, look it, this is not yeah. just some silly soap opera or whatever it's viewed at by others. 
It's only it's only true. When I first started writing for Deadspin, which is four or five years ago or yeah, something like that, it was a huge novelty for a site even as, you know, kind of like open as Deadspin to be regularly publishing on professional wrestling out and not and not just like reporting on who died or who, who got arrested. Um uh, I mean, even like as as recently as when I first started writing for Grantland, I constantly got comments that people were just saying like, "What the hell are you doing here?" You know, um, and and oh, that is really you're right. It has changed a lot. A ton of places have wrestling writers um, and really really good ones, and uh, you know, people are giving all kinds of people are giving space to it. Um, I think that you're right. It's not just the editors; it's the it's the writers. Is you know becoming aware that there's that this is a, a respectable thing to write about. But I think it's a broader issue. I mean, you know, really, that's that's just sort of, um, uh, you know, for good or bad. I mean, and definitely good in the case of wrestling. But it's just sort of, I think, symptomatic of a larger turn in our culture, like towards the sort of middle brow and away from sort of delineating things as highbrow or lowbrow. Um, I think in, gen- in general, you know, if you're like a culture website or magazine or whatever, if you're gonna, or even if you're just like a regular human being who watches television. Um, it used to be it used to be easy to kind of laugh off wrestling, but now if you like spend your Saturday nights watching the Real Housewives of Atlanta, I don't really know what the case for making fun of wrestling is, you know. So I think that yeah. um, I think that it just in general, uh, you know, it fits in better with this sort of like semi-ironic pop culture uh, uh, world that we that we exist in right now. Uh, another thing I love, and it's something you you wrote about this week, is. Uh, the young, the young guys, the emerging guys, and I'll, I'll put that together with. I also wrote the NXT specials, which are sometimes the week they air, the best wrestling that airs that week. Uh, I am a little worried that as we get deep into the NXT era, and everyone in the company was trained by NXT, the people at NXT to do promos that way and to work that way, that we might find that the negative of it is that everyone is somehow the same so that worries me a little bit but putting that aside i think they're doing great things the idea of it is incredible they put on great shows and there's a lot of uh young talented guys that i'm sort of exciting to be getting in early on and and watching to see how they evolve yeah uh i i fully agree um i think that the i think well, actually I, I think that the concern about the cookie cutter whatever guys coming up is a little bit overblown uh you certainly see a lot of cookie cutterness from guys who who um, developed from a non wrestling background uh and i think w w e has to be aware of that um uh, there's a lot less of the cookie cutter syndrome um and with guys like uh, you know, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and people that actually came from indie wrestling backgrounds. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's necessarily something that, that, I mean, WWE, what they've done with the performance center with NXT, it, it deserves a lot of, it deserves, you know, all the respect that you can give it. And, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, I, I think that they're the, the best thing that they could do, um, you know, would be to maybe have like three of three performance centers, you know, in three different sort of like stage, not stages of development, but just types of development, types of audiences, um, so that you can, you know, spend some time with different teachers in different parts of the country learning how to perform slightly different ways. But that's a lot of, you know, money for them to spend for maybe a little bit of variation, uh, you know. 
if everybody learns how to speak French from the same French teacher, then you're all going to speak with the same accent or whatever. That's just the way that it's going to be. I don't know that's necessarily like, um, a, you know, a, a reason to knock them, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, they're doing a really good job with their developmental program. Um, you know, even if they just signed Kevin Steen and Kenta and Devitt, you know, the three most recent big-name indie wrestling signings, even if they just signed those to sort of appease fans like me, then, like, you know, they deserve applause because that was a brilliant move. Um, you know, if those guys never make it onto TV, and I'm sure they will, but if they never make it onto TV, even so, they've, like, you know, it's a, it's a nice goodwill gesture at a bare minimum. Um but I do agree with you about getting it on the ground floor with these guys. I mean, it really does make you get invested in them when you see them start off and wrestle their first matches in a WWE ring. And it, it's just, you know, NXT is a really great show um, that has the ability to be different and special because it exists in such sharp juxtaposition um, with, you know, Raw every Monday night. Uh, it's just such a different product. And I think that, you know, so far we've seen a, a lot of the NXT guys have difficulty adjusting to the WWE, to, you know, the major leagues. Um, uh, but I, uh, hopefully they'll kind of realize, WWE overall will, will begin to realize what, um, that the, 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 the way that some things work in NXT is not necessarily a recipe for success uh, on Raw. But overall, uh, I mean, I love that show to death. Uh, just a couple more on the love list, and then we got to get to the uh, to the hate list. But um, I like I like the Shield, uh, the guys from the Shield. It's not a thing anymore. But I, you know, people when factions or tag teams or whatever break up, the, the, the thing at least I always think of is like, all right, well, who's the Genetti? I think that maybe the Shield is the most likely to not have a Genetti that I've ever seen. Like it just seems like all three of these guys are. And you wrote about uh, <laughs> you know you wrote about them today. I just read your column before we talked a little bit, but. Um, I, I could see, you know, t- 10 years from now saying that the three most important people in wrestling in the last 10 years were the three guys that were in the Shield. Like, that just seems like a possibility to me. Oh, yeah. I think it's totally... I Actually, I think I wrote a piece yeah. about who's the Genetti a while ago. The, and, it, yeah, it's it's totally true. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be, except that the odds are that it will be somebody. <laughs> and my opinion of who it is seems to change every month or two. I mean, when they first came up, I said that uh, that Seth Rollins was a was a five tool prospect, and everybody gave me a bunch of uh, gave me a hard time because he was lousy on the mic, and I was like, hey, he's not lousy. He's just sort of a mediocre indie wrestler. And then when they started, you know, when they came out, he kind of got quickly overshadowed by by Ambrose and especially Rollins, I mean, especially Reigns. Sorry, and I was just prepared to eat my words. I wrote about this today, and then now it seems like, I mean, if there ever was a sure thing, it's this guy. Uh, Ambrose was, you know. L- was the biggest star, uh, looked like the biggest star in wrestling on Monday night. Um, and Reigns is out with an injury. So, like, we say, I don't know, is he going to be the genetic? I don't know. It, whatever. They are really great guys, all yeah. three of them. They all, they all kind of occupy different spaces. And I agree that they could be, they could, they could be sort of, uh, you know, we might be talking about, you know, back when they were a team with, you know, amazement in 10 years. All right. The next two on my list will bring me into my first one on the hate list. All right. So my first thing on the hate list is the Divas division. And part of that is because it's maybe just not for me. You know, it's just maybe just not. The problem is, the biggest thing is it just always seems to be, and you you might have said this or maybe it's someone else, it always just seems to be that match that's in between the two best matches, and they never seem to give it enough time. And it's just, maybe it's just not for me, but then 
you know, n- another thing on my love list is Total Divas on VH1, and that might sound silly, but my wife loves to watch VH1 shows, and it's been a great opportunity for me to, you know, watch that with her, and it gives her a reason to maybe be interested. It's like almost a stroke of genius for them to uh, present their product to a demographic that would have never bothered with it for a second. So I yeah. wonder if the more that I invest in that, if I'll come around on the Divas thing. I, I think I think you will. First of all, it's the E Network because I don't want you to be you oh, know, wait, giving them I short shrift for their for their genius in airing the show. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was a stroke of genius on WWE's part to have this show. I, I can't imagine they were thinking that far ahead, but. Uh, not, I mean, not that they're not smart, but just because they would have said, I mean, why wouldn't they say yes to the show? I don't think it's some, like, maniacal plan. That said, uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard this over and over and over again, that my girlfriend, my wife, whoever, will finally is finally watching wrestling with me now because of Total Divas. Um, it's really great. And I think that the, the Divas matches actually have gotten a lot more time and, and, and a lot more, uh, you know, they've been able to be a lot more interesting since Total Diva started because of that spotlight to some degree. They haven't always made the most use of it, but it's certainly like they're, they're, they have the opportunity. But they do have to fight against the sort of like decades of um, of tradition that they are, like you said, there is a, there, it's called the popcorn match. I mean, it's and it's not necessarily a term of derision, but it's like these matches exist to recharge, to give the fans... Um, and I'm not just talking about Divas matches, but the, the concept of popcorn matches is like these matches exist to give the fans a chance to go buy popcorn and to recharge bef- between, you know, the big heavy matches. Um, and I'm going to actually mess this up, let me mess up my, my reference, but, but um, you know, WrestleMania, I think three years ago, when they, when they, they, in, they cut a major match um, for time, but they still had... Uh, they still had uh, Brodus Clay come out and do his, like, his... his uh, I can't even remember what his nickname was now, the Funkasaurus. Um, so have him come out and do like a dance routine and all, and with his like the million mamas were out there. Everybody was in, was incensed that they left that in and cut the other match, but it was it was there for a really good reason. Like it's a technical production reason they wanted the crowd to like laugh and you know exhale before the before the next match went on. Um, and you know they've been doing it forever, and they do it for a reason. Now uh, it, that doesn't mean that that's all that the divas could ever be, but it's certainly like the way that they're frequently slotted because this is an industry so based on tradition. And and um, you know on on Sunday night at the Night of Champions pay per view, they had a three way match for the divas championship that I thought was just great. Yeah, I, I mean, thought it was really really good, it and was really uh, good. and yeah. I was you know excited to see them give them that opportunity. And I thought it was a huge improvement over you know. And the, the last thing on my level list was Stephanie and Lana. I mean, I think Stephanie is an unbelievable heel. And uh, the same for Rusev's girl. I think they're both great, like great on the mic and, and great people to hate and really good at what they do. And, and maybe some of my frustration with the Divas division is you have this unbelievable setup with the uh, with Stephanie and, and the Bella girl. And they did it such a great job and they gave it important time. And then maybe what I didn't like about it is they just couldn't pay it off in the ring. Like, I just didn't think there was anything there. I think you maybe liked it more than I did. Uh, well, I, I just love, I mean, listen, I think there's just, uh, you know, there's certain times where it's like Stone Cold versus Vince back in the day where right. it's like it, yeah. no one was looking for it to be a good wrestling match. You just are looking to be like, you know, to be entertained, you know, and to have it kind of, and, and I, I agree that, um, 
I mean, for me, it was an issue of them more kind of like petering out so oddly after that match um, than, you know, but, but I thought up to that point it was great. I agree with you. I think Stephanie's great. I think Lana's great. I think Lana and Rusev both are going to have to find whatever the next gear is, whatever the, 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 like the missing third dimension in their personalities, if they're going to have any staying power. Um, but, but so far she's, she's been wonderful. All right. I got to think we're getting close to running out of time. I should have asked you before how much time you had. So I'll just read you what's left on my hate list and then you can just respond to them all. So this is what I got. So I said the divas division, but I have left the door open to think that I might be able to come around on that. Uh, the announced team, I just, it's not iconic in any way. Michael Cole, I just got to think there's someone. If there's only one of those jobs in the world, I got to think there's someone who, who can do it better. To me, you know, Gorilla Monsoon is iconic. JR is iconic. I just can never see Michael Cole being iconic. Uh, Three-hour Raw, it's too long. It's boring. Um, I usually watch from 8 to 8.20, then stop until like 10 o'clock and sort of watch it with the benefit of being able to fast forward. That's never going away, I'm sure, but... You know, I wish it was shorter. Uh, no Vince. Uh, that bugs me because as long as I've watched wrestling, he's been around in some capacity, and I wish he still was. Uh, too many pay-per-views. Again, something that's probably never going away and something that's always bothered me. Uh, I guess it's not as bad when you're not technically paying for it. Um, smart marks, even though I might be one, uh, still can annoy me from time to time. Uh, this is maybe the number one thing. All the non-title matches on Raw. Why are there so many non-title matches? That drives me nuts, and that kind of goes into the weak belts is another thing I don't like. Uh, the Intercontinental. Ricky Steamboat winning the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 3 was like the peak of my childhood, and uh, I can't imagine that there's a similar 7-year-old out there who had the peak of their childhood when uh, Ziggler beat The Miz or something. Uh, even though I thought that that's been great, that feud. Um, and then the last thing I had was the tag division. They always have really good matches to start the shows, but it just feels like there's really no tag divisions. Again, the belt doesn't really mean anything, and it just feels like that could be a lot better. Well, I'm glad that you saved the things you don't like for the end, because as anyone who listens to my podcast knows, I'm like an irrational optimist, and uh, and you know I, I should I probably have much less to say about the negative stuff. Um, but uh, uh, I, but I, you know, I agree with basically with everything that you say. Uh, the, the the thing about Michael Cole you said I thought was really funny that there's only one of those jobs in the world. Um, and I, I often wonder why there aren't thirty people in the entire globe that can regular that can kick a seventy yard field goal one hundred percent of the right. time. It just seems <laughs> like there should be thirty of those people. It seems like there should be fifty of those people in the entire world. You know, global population. Um, but you're right, you know, I mean, the, the thing is the announcers are being, I mean, basically just being fed lines by Vince McMahon backstage. So uh, if you want to know why he's not on the screen, it's because he's busy doing that. Um, and there's not a lot they can do. They're just doing this sort of cross-promotion thing where they have, you know, just lo- so many obligations that don't involve calling the, a- calling the action that, that, you know, uh, we talked about We talked about Jim Ross earlier. I mean, he says over and over again in this podcast that, it's not a matter of like of ability, really. Michael Cole's actually better than Jim Ross would be at doing what he's being asked to do right now, you know. And and that's just unfortunate in a lot of ways that that's what the, you know what they're doing. But still, you know, I don't hang it all on Michael Cole, though I'm not a huge fan of his, you know, just whatever cadence. Um, yeah, same thing. The three-hour RAW is never going to go away as long as USA Network is getting better ratings on that than on right. CSI reruns. 
but I totally agree. It, all, what it does for me is give me, an, I think like what you said, it, it gives me an excuse to not watch. Um, you know, I mean, it's like it, the idea, when the idea of sitting down for three hours and watching wrestling, you know, two nights in a row like this week, uh, doesn't seem very tasteful, then like, it's, you know, it, it makes me want to, uh, you know, set the DVR and go hang out with friends on Monday night and, you know, fast forward through Raw when, when, when I get back. Um, and too many pay-per-views. I will say this. They're, they're probably not going to start doing away with any, but my, my hope and my dream is that they will realize that this is a problem and that the, now that everybody is on the network or some more and more people are on the network, um, they can start kind of, they can, they can stop pretending that nine of the pay-per-views every year are as big a deal as WrestleMania um, and, and, and kind of give them, you know, a slightly more modest but still interesting personality. Um, that sounds right. That, that and, sounds right. And, uh, and, and I think that that's the thing, you know, it's actually, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the non-title matches, the belts, the tag stuff, I mean, I, you know, I think to some degree that, that falls under a sort of similar umbrella um, in the sense that, like, I sort of, I, I as, uh, um, I instinctively dis, like, disregard all, any such complaints because I don't, uh, because number one, well, I'll, I'll just put it this way: If everything were going well, from like in like a more general way, you then like people don't make complaints about like the technicalities of the craft like that, you know, about like the meaningfulness of a title or the meaninglessness of a of a of a way of doing things. Um, I think it's just sort of a bigger problem with um, sort of how you conceptualize yourself as a fake sport in this postmodern world that we live in, and you know, a matter of of telling compelling stories week after week um, and, and, you know, doing it from the top to the bottom of the roster, not just, uh, not just in the main event. Um, and I think a lot of those other problems just sort of go by the wayside. Uh, the smart marks, you know, you're never going to, never going to go by the, those are never going to go by the wayside. They're here to stay. Uh, but I do think to a certain degree that whenever, again, and when everything's going, but when the product is good, um, the desire to sort of act out by people, um, by that sort of, by that subset of fans is less pronounced. Um, and, uh, and you know, everybody's happy to be in it together. It's, I'm sure I said it to you before. I mean, the, by far the coolest thing about pro wrestling, um, is that it's a sort of an interactive, an interactive, you know, for art where the fans are sort of an equal party, um, in their performance. And uh, we all want to be in it together, you know. We want to be cheering at the right times and booing at the right times, and we want to be excited. Now, on Sunday night, when when uh, Seth Rollins came out to like threaten the to cash in his briefcase, like I was at a bar watching with a bunch of wrestling nerds. I'm one of the wrestling nerds, by the way. I don't mean that in a derogatory no, way. Um, but we everybody just went nuts, and we went nuts together, and it was exactly the reaction that WWE wanted, and it felt so good to be there in that moment. Um, but you know, not every moment's going to be like that. Uh, but uh, you know, to some extent, I, w- I, I agree with you. Um, I wish people would sort of lay off the bad vibe sometimes. All right, let's lay this all out because you gave me a lot of time and I really appreciate it and really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it to some extent. Uh, David, I did. It was a lot of fun, man. David Shoemaker, uh, writes for Grantland. Uh, this is sort of a Grantland show as our two guests are David and Andrew Sharp, who 
was kind enough to give our city of Buffalo some time this week. So uh, he writes, usually your columns are on Wednesday, I think, and the podcast cheap heat is usually around Thursday, but don't hold him to that. They're both great. Check them both out. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. He's at AKA the masked man and his book, the squared circle life, death professional wrestling comes out on paperback on November 4th, but the hardcover and the e-versions are already out there. And it is one of my favorite books of the probably 40 or 50 maybe that I've read about wrestling and uh, anything. Did I miss anything? No, man, you did a great job. <laughs> I mean, like you can, well, I guess you buy the, 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 the cheap heat podcast.com is a, is a homepage for the website. I mean, for the, for the, for my podcast. And, um, that usually I link to most of my articles and a bunch of other stuff on there. So that's usually, that's, you know, kind of the best way to, to get a hold of me. Well, thank you so much for all the time. I should have asked you before. I hope I'm not making you late for anything, but thank you so much. Thanks for, for doing that with me. It was really fun. And, uh, I guess it's just the last thing they're going to pay us off and it's going to be Lesnar and Cena in a cell next month, right? It's not going to be just something random all of a sudden. They didn't pull that finish to just get out of it. Did they? No, they pulled that finish specifically to have Lesnar and Cena in the helm. Right. helmet. Okay. I mean, that was that, that, that's why they did it. I guess there's an off chance that they find a way to integrate, uh, Rollins and Ambrose into one giant four man hell in a cell. But I somehow doubt they would, they would use all four men in one match because that's about two thirds of their roster right now. Uh, so I, I don't, I think they kind of have to keep those separate. Well, thank you so much. And, and read the, this week's column is really cool too. It's about, uh, all the guys who could potentially maybe be the next big guy, and you got some odds. I think Rollins has got the best odds at twenty to one, and maybe anyone in NXT has the worst odds, and it's like seventy five hundred to one or something like that. But it's a really fun column, and it is every week in the podcast and all this stuff. Thank you so much, David. No problem at all, man. Thanks again. All right, talk to you soon. All right, uh, I want to apologize to everyone again for that hiatus last week. I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do it. I want to thank David Shoemaker and our other guests for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find our old shows, including Jane Levy on The Mess That Is The NFL and Derek Jeter at www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Don is at Don Like Sports. Uh, the show and basically myself is at sports underscore casters. And you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. On our last show, we revived Pick 4. We thought it would be a way to talk about the games but not ruin three things and uh, talk about some teams and look ahead but also sort of look behind. Uh, and this is where we're at. We both went 2-2 two and two the first week. I hit on Patriots over the Vikings and Ravens over the Steelers. We picked these against the spread. I didn't write down what the spreads were in that game, but those were winners. Uh, 49ers over the Bears and Saints over the Browns were losers. Um, Don also went two and two winning Ravens over Steelers and bills over dolphins and, uh, losing 49ers over bears and Jaguars over Redskins. Uh, so that's where we're at two and two each as we move ahead with the national game. Uh, we each pick one game that is on national TV, whether it's the Thursday game or the Sunday night or the Monday, or even the, uh, four twenty five game of the week like Seattle and Denver could have been eligible for that last week sure uh, I picked the Redskins minus three and a half over the Giants that's the Thursday game at 830 on CBS 
Thursday games are it's always better to be the home team in them. It's mm. just easier to not have to travel on that short week. And I think that one thing I learned last week in that game is that the Kirk Cousins Redskins are pretty good. And I don't blame RG3 that much. He's had a raw deal there. And maybe this is just the case. He's maybe one of those guys that when he gets healthy and when he gets to a second team, sure. we're going to really see. Because he's such a great athlete. And I do like RG3, actually. Is he in a contract here? I don't I don't know. Not yet? Not yet. Because, I mean, there's going to be. The guys in the contract year are the Mark Ingram draft. Is that his draft? I don't remember. The or, Saints moved up into the Well, you know draft. what it was? This is what it is. They're, those guys aren't quite in the contract year. Those guys had to have their fifth-year team options either picked up or declined. Oh, okay. So, like, Ingram's wasn't picked up, but Cameron Jordan's was. RG3 is super interesting whenever he gets to that because, I mean, all of a sudden, we talked about it earlier, there's three AFC East teams, the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins that all could maybe use a quarterback. Could maybe use an RG3. So, But I think that Kirk Cousins' Redskins are good. Uh, they're not great on defense, but the Giants are nothing special on offense. And our, not our that super fan isn't going to agree with you for that. I know he's an RG3 guy, yeah. but it's nothing against RG3. Right, He's but he's not a Cousins guy, it sounds right. like. Right, and I think maybe he should just cheer for his team to win. <laughs> and based on what I've seen this season, I think he gives his team the best chance to win. Right now, basically because the other guys are broken hip, too. Well, sure. So he would not help them this week. No. So uh, I'll pick the Redskins minus 3.5 over the Giants. That's a Thursday nighter. All right, uh, that was your... Primetime game? My national game. Okay, my national game I went with was the uh, Monday night game, Pats at Kansas City. I talked about it, or I was just talking about it with Steve off the air. I have Tom Brady in a fantasy league. He looks great in the preseason. He's always been good with anonymous receivers. I thought it would just be more of the same old, and he's got Gronk now. He's been terrible. Uh, the Patriots haven't been convincing. They're two and one, but had to squeak out a victory over the Raiders, who looked terrible. Who tied the game? I know you didn't see a lot of football, right? Uh, they tied that game, but had a penalty, right? So they, they would have taken win it to that overtime. In overtime yep. yeah. So, and I'm generally a guy that likes things that are more measurable, uh, more based on statistics. But I just think I know it's an arrowhead, but I just think that the Patriots and Tom Brady are due for a statement game. And I think the Chiefs are a team uh, that could give it to them, even on the road. So give me the Patriots minus three and a half. That I just I still think Tom Brady's too good. I can't imagine he fell off the cliff that fast. I have a prediction for that next week. You're either going to be like, I told you about the Patriots, or I'm done with that team. Yeah. That's I mean, how this is going to go. I probably, I mean... I don't know how they've been against the spread, but if you were going to ask me, I'm sure I would have picked the Patriots every week against the spread, and they've squeaked out victories. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that's the way it goes because, like I said, I have Brady in a league, and I either want to be done with them or uh, see some signs of progress. All right, uh, the Saints game this week. The Saints are on Sunday Night Football. They play the Cowboys in Dallas. This is a game the Saints have won several years in a row, basically. Seems like they always end up on the schedule. The Saints always take advantage of what the Cowboys don't have on defense. And I expect that to happen again. And I only have to lay three points. The, the Cowboys were lucky to leave St. Louis with a win. And I'm glad they did. I'd much rather, I'm much more comfortable playing a 2-1 Cowboys team than a suddenly 1-2 desperate Cowboys team at home and all the Tony Romo stuff. So I think the Cowboys are a team that could pretty easily be beat. Now about the Saints... 
I'll say this. They're not as good as I thought they were in the summer. That was exactly they're, my question. They're, not, they're just not. They're just not as good. And it starts on defense. The defense is not as good. Second cornerback is a much bigger issue than I thought it was. It's all fine and well for Keenan Lewis to shut one guy down. But if nobody else can do anything of any importance on the other side, that hurts. Kenny Vaccaro has played better since week one against Atlanta where he was terrible, but he's still not good enough. And Jarris Bird has been a bust so far. He's yeah. made one play and it was a fumble from behind in the like third drive of the year against Atlanta. I think people probably otherwise he's done nothing. Well, that was going to be almost I've my... barely even seen him on the field. Yeah, that was going to be almost my exact question uh and I think people probably thought I was overestimating my team earlier in the year. But if you could trade 21 players from the Saints for 21 players from the Bills right now, I mean swapping the entire roster other I'd than quarterback. I probably wouldn't do it. You still wouldn't do no, it. No, probably not. I I don't think there's Almost, there's almost not a single player I would trade with you on offense. I mean, hmm. who, who? I mean, I guess I would trade. I think, I, for I think I'd rather have all the receivers. I mean, there's no. Even if you wash Cooks and let's say Cooks and Watkins, Watkins are, are washed. Wash. Okay, there's no way that Drew Brees is going to have better chemistry with anyone from the Bills than Marcus Colston. Colston and Brees is always going to be better than Colston and Woods or. But I mean, Colston in the last two games has had two total catches. But that's the offense too. I mean, he didn't have any targets the first week, and his catch last week was a huge touchdown play. In week one? No, last week. Oh, last week was a huge, like a thirty-yard touchdown down the seam. And there's no way that Robert Woods, who might be the most fragile football player, or is it Goodwin who's the fragile one? I can't remember. Goodwin's never on the field. Yeah, he's never on the field, and he's always hurt. So there's no way that the there's no there's no one I would want over Colston, just because of Breeze mostly. Sure. Um, and then Ingram was good this year when he played. Yeah, at running so back, so that might be close. At, at running or, back, I think it's going to be a lot of a wash. Like Pierre Thomas and and Fred Jackson are sort of the same guy, right? You know, basically undrafted guys from, you know, who who have played better. They're great pass catchers. They're good leaders in the locker room. That's sort of a wash. Maybe Fred Jackson's a little better. Maybe Pierre Thomas is. I'm not sure. But that's a, a dead heat. Right. And they play the same roles. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Graham is better. Uh, right. The offensive line is very good that the Saints have. I don't know how good the Bills is, but the Saints is fine, so I don't really need to make a trade there. Yeah, the Bills are fine. Yeah, I, I, I bet that's probably close to a wash, too. Right. Uh, and um, obviously not quarterback. No, right. That's the and one position I would say would be. obviously not tight end. No, right. You know, so probably I probably wouldn't make any trades on offense. There might be a wide receiver. You know what? I would take that fragile wide receiver. What's his name? Goodwin? Goodwin. You can have uh, Meacham. Still, okay, Meacham. And then uh, at least we'll have a kick, kick returner. Because the Saints are the least dangerous oh. special teams team ever. So uh, I'll do that. Kenny Stills and Robert Woods are probably a wash. Second-year okay. receivers who have been okay at times and maybe aren't complete receivers left. Yeah, so that's a wash. On defense... Uh, our ends and your ends are probably a wash again. They're probably hmm. both pretty good pass rushing ends. Probably Mario Williams is the best of them, but Cameron Jordan is a little cheaper and a little younger. So am I really sure, going to trade sure. you Cameron Jordan for for uh, Mario Williams? Eh, probably not. Mario Williams is, is probably the best of the four, but probably not going to do that. Right. Uh, Junior Gallette is probably about the same as whoever you're – who's the other end? Jerry Hughes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd probably take Glad over that that player. Jerry Hughes is a get the quarterback kind of specialist. I know that your tackles are better, but uh, 
but that I, I don't really want Darius because I'm not going to want to give him a second contract. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I was saying for one season or for maybe even right now. Even I, for right now, then like, maybe I'd probably do tackles. Yeah, we'll just probably swap out tackles. Linebackers that comes down to scheme usually. Yeah, and I don't think I know enough about whether Kenny Lofton is better than whoever's taken over for Kiko Alonso. Right, that's the problem, too, that Kiko's hurt. Because Kiko and Nigel Bradham might be better than anyone on the Saints, but... Like, oh, Kiko, I'd trade in a second. Right. You can have, you know, Curtis Lofton for Kiko in a second, but he can't... If it's for now, sure, can't right, play. right. And you know what? I think Kiko's so good that I'd trade for him, give you our starting middle linebacker right now, and, and sit out the year with Kiko. <laughs> you know, so there's that. Keenan Lewis is as good as any corner you have. I'm not trading him. Uh, our second corner is well worse than any corner you have, so I'm smoking you in that trade. You can have <laughs> Patrick Robinson, or, or Corey you know, Graham you can have any of those Stephane guys, Gilmore. and you give me whoever you want, and I won that trade. And uh, you know, safety they've been disappointing, but they're, I'm still probably not going to trade Bird back, Bird back, right. and I'm probably not going to trade a second year Kenny Vaccaro who. Was probably the defensive rookie of the year last year. So your team, though, you're saying is not they're as not good as, as you good as I because thought because of the defense. The defense isn't as good. The defense overplayed last year. Okay, you know the defense is not as good as the number four defense. They're not as bad as they've been so far. Are you worried about Breeze at all? Not at all. Because no. the offense doesn't seem to. I mean, they're are they the moving two, it but not scoring? Number or? two offense in the league going into last week. I bet they're no worse than four now. Yeah, and that's in terms of total yards. I don't know what it goes because this yardage total is very high. It just doesn't seem like they're able to. Well, you have to remember that last week they downed it at the ten yard line to end the game. Okay, so they're really probably scoring about twenty seven. They're almost perfect in the red zone. I think the only time they haven't scored in the red zone was uh, his pick mm-hmm. against Atlanta. They're the best team in the league on third down conversion. I think they're like almost sixty percent. The thing the offense needs to do is get the ball down the field more. I think Breeze's numbers are almost as bad in the league at like completions of over twenty yards, and I know they're the lowest in attempts. Oh, really? They have not taken shots. That's surprising. Well, I think part of it is they take what the other team gives, and if the okay. team is just not letting you throw the ball down the field, they're going to play Ben, but don't break. You they'll just... just nickel and dime. Drew Brees will nickel and dime you all day long. Sure. And no, I'm not worried about the offense at all. Uh, they're going to get better every week. Uh, Jimmy Graham is unbelievable. Brandon Cooks is even better than I thought, and I was excited about him. The plus side is if they're not as good as you thought, I don't think anyone in the league is. What team out there looks unbeatable? I still think they can win 12 games. Sure. They might not, but they could. Their schedule's tough. It's good. Because they play a number one schedule. They still have seven home games left. They don't play a number one schedule. They play number two. Oh, number two. Right, right. Uh, They have seven home games left, and they only have one home game against – or a road game against a team who made the playoffs last year. That's Carolina. Yeah, those would be the big ones. I think is are the division games because I mean that's all they got to do is win that division. Tampa's not going to. They got to split with Atlanta. Well, Atlanta right. got the first shot, but Atlanta, I tell you what, is is a really good offensive team, especially at home. Right. I mean, I, I have no problems with that loss. I heard a question, uh, a, a sports a local sports station, and I think they just have some clickbait type questions on Facebook after that Atlanta win last week. They said, "What was that Thursday night that yeah. beatdown?" They said, is Atlanta the best team in the league? No. And I'm like, they just got crushed the week before by right. Cincinnati. Cincinnati like, might be the best team right now. That might be right. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Bills. The Bills are. Oh, wait. Did I say I'm taking the Saints? I did, right? Yes, you yeah. did. Um, I actually 
have a Saints as one of my that our last random pick. So I, why don't you just I, give that now? I took the Saints also. All right. Um, that's your wild card. Yeah, I think the only reason that's close is record. Uh, Dallas has has somehow been two and one, and their defense is actually way. If you're talking about the Saints' defense overplaying last year, I think a lot of people thought Dallas might have the worst, def- like one of the worst defenses in history of the league, and they've been okay. So that's the. If anything, their offense has let them down. Tony Romo's let them down a little bit, uh, but they're two and one. I think the Saints. That should be a shootout. I mean, that, I mean, if you got fantasy guys on right. buys, try to find any Saints or Cowboys. I guess that are left over. All right, give me your Bills, and then I'll give you my wild card. I'll say about the Bills. Uh, that's who I thought they were, and that's a good team. From what San Diego I, yeah, too, San Diego's a good team, and the Bills are not a team, and EJ Manuel's not a quarterback that can come from behind. I think he has one come from behind win ever, and that was in Carolina. Carolina. That was a home game. Right. And it wasn't like this massive. They can't go down 10, 13 points and come back. The offense just isn't designed that way. And I'm disappointed in Marone for that a little bit. He came in kind of like Chip Kelly light. Like I didn't get the guy behind the Saints offense. Yeah. I didn't get Chip Kelly, but I got Doug Marone. Uh, He seems kind of uh, a poor man's chip. Yeah. Yeah. and it's been nothing like that. He's super conservative. It's run first. Don't let EJ screw up. EJ looks scared to take hits, and I don't. I think that might be coached into him. They have to protect him too. He is a much worse passer when he is off his mark. I know sure. some of the passes. I went back and watched some of the plays that people were complaining about with him getting the receivers killed. Yeah. And all those passes were inaccurate because he was flushed. Sure. You know, he got sacked three times, which is a pretty decent amount for an NFL game. Yeah. And he was moved Yeah, that was their worst game. More. I think yeah. he was only sacked once in the first two games. You got to throw that out. That's a team that just beat Seattle. That's sure. That's a really good team. Yeah, I don't I don't mind that game. Uh, and they're going to win this But that, I think, is evidence that they're not good enough at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, or he's, not. or they have to like take the reins off him, and let him see what they I, have. Yeah, at absolute best, I think they're ten and six. At absolute worst, I think they're six and ten, and they're probably more likely in the middle somewhere. Right. I think that's what that's what I think they are. But I think at times watching the Jets game last night, Geno Smith might be. They kept calling him like a roller coaster. Like he has good ups and yeah. really bad downs. That's more exciting to watch than me than what they're doing with EJ Manuel. Like let the kid prove he can play or prove he can't play, and then move on. Uh, but yeah, the Bills are getting three points at Houston. Houston maybe has a solid defense. They might be home, uh, but the Bills, the Houston, Houston's not going to be the type of team that makes puts the Bills into a shootout that they're uncomfortable with. So, I think the Bills win this game, and even if they don't, I think they keep it close. So, I'll take the three points on the road. Uh, my wild card is I mentioned how good I think Atlanta is. I think I sort of mentioned how bad I think the Vikings are. And for some reason, that's only a three-point game, probably because it's in Minnesota. But uh, I love the I love Atlanta in that game. Uh, I'll lay three. It's a 425 Fox game. That's my wild card. So that brings us to the game of the week. Yeah, the game of the week this week is Panthers at Baltimore. I think part of we had a tough time figuring out the game of the week because I like we it's said, a bad week. It's not a great week, and I just think the teams that were supposed to be good aren't. Like, this would have been maybe the week for your father-in-law to come in town. Yeah, because there's not a lot. But like the Packers Bears could have been the game of the week, but the Packers have yet to win a road game and are one and two. Uh, maybe the Bears are a team that maybe are better than people thought. Maybe if they just started slow against the Bills, I don't know, or are, are as good as people thought. But anyway, the game of the week: Panthers at Baltimore. I continue 
And this hap- they won a Super Bowl while I felt this way. I continue to not believe in the Ravens, and I don't believe in Joe Flacco. Uh, the Panthers are a solid defense. They've been somehow winning without receivers and without a running game. I think that just shows how good that defense is. Their leading rusher right now has 88 yards on the season. Uh, but still, I don't. I just don't believe what the Ravens are doing. I don't believe they can sustain it. I just, Flacco has been really, really good. Steve Smith has somehow found the fountain of youth, and he's almost averaging 100 yards per game. Uh, but that said, I'm going to pick all road teams this week, which isn't fun. But uh, I'll take Baltz, or I'll take the Panthers plus the three points on the road. I'm no big believer in in the Ravens, but I am not a believer in the Panthers, and I. They got humiliated by a Pittsburgh team that got humiliated yeah, yeah. by a Baltimore team. And I know that that doesn't necessarily always <laughs> right. work. That transitive property doesn't always work in the NFL. But the Panthers are injured, too. Uh, their leading rusher what has 88 yards, and he's probably not going to play, and his backup isn't going to play. And that guy, I don't even... They're, they're D'Angelo gonna, Williams might be back. They're to, probably going right. to be playing someone who played at UB or right. something, right? I mean, I don't even know who they have. I, I don't know who their last. I, I think D'Angelo Williams might come back. Beyond that, I don't know. I have, and I if, have no idea. If D'Angelo Williams comes back, it's probably because they don't have anyone else and they're rushing him, and maybe that gets hurt. And you know, uh, Cam is sort of up and down. He's very good, very talented. You don't always get his best shot, though. I don't know. I, I'll take. I'll lay through with the Ravens. It just feels more stable to me. The Panthers got two wins early, uh, but have dropped off health wise since. And we even seen a kink in the Luke Keekley armor, who was the guy who missed, who blew the play on the big run that uh, that Le'Veon Bell broke, the 80-yard run he had. That was Keekley's fault, and I'd never see that guy make a mistake. So I just wonder if that defense is in a position where they feel like they just can't let up a point. And sometimes yeah, maybe. when you're that way, it's so hard to win. Uh, but I will pick the Ravens minus three. All right, real quick. This has kind of gone long anyway, but you brought up Keekley, and he kind of, in a prime time, maybe a Monday night game, famously yeah, got blatantly away with that. interfered. Yep. Was that interference last night? I sure thought it was. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. I think Trico referenced it too. Trico did, right. He said it's maybe a less egregious version. The problem maybe with that one is there's probably no way he can catch that in bounds. Yeah. Like if the guy isn't there, let's take that guy out. Do you think that that ball is in the field of play? Do you think he can catch that ball? Yeah, I'm not sure. That's one thing as far as Geno Smith goes is is inaccurate as manual is. Geno Smith is all over the place. Yeah, I, that's. I'm going to give the ref the benefit of the doubt and say the reason he didn't throw that flag was because he thought there's no way that that's a catchable ball. But if it was, if you can make the case that it was, if you say, hey, look at it wasn't as high and deep as it looked because he was getting pushed. Well, then, yeah, I think it should have been a flag. I think, you know, really the call they blew is blowing dead the fumble that Jets returned sure. for a touchdown. You know, if they don't do that, they're I thought they were walk off field goal. I there. thought the refs were coached to do the opposite, too. And they are. Let the play go on. Yeah, and, yeah I, I hate that all the time. And why not just, I don't know, I'm sure it's a slippery slope, but why not just let them? They, they scored clearly. All right. I can almost promise, unless it's Drew Brees or Derek Jeter, I promise no matter who is the next guy <laughs> to break the law criminalize somebody. themselves yeah. or how bad the Saints lose this week, we will be back next week.